Hello everyone, Jordan here. I just wanted to take a second to apologize beforehand because I did record this episode on a potato in my basement and didn't realize until about an hour and a half in that my fan was blowing directly into the microphone. So be forewarned, there are parts of this episode where the bass and buffeting from the fan is pretty annoying. Um, Rather than scrap the whole episode, though, we decided to keep it and do our best to mitigate the sound because we think you're going to get a lot of good stuff out of this one. So hope you enjoy the show. And sorry again. Welcome to the A Better Way to a Podcast with Andrew, Jordan, and Rogue Rescue. How's it going? Yo, guys. I'm Jordan. Oh, ro- <laughs> Sorry, so, this is... <laughs> so Jordan describes himself as Jordan. Uh, Rogue Rescue describes himself as a paramedic. Um, how, how do you say it? You, you basically, you're just trying to make the world better with some... With some neat neat Basically, advice, yeah. right? Trying to like uh, preserve individual yes. liberties. Um, you know, it doesn't matter what your background is, just as long as you know you have a basic sense of, uh, you know, honor and ethics. I think we can all kind of get a get behind that. If that makes sense. Yeah, man. So that's that's interesting. Honor and ethics, very cool. Um, but yet you are you are rogue. Mm-hmm. So. How in in how do you do how how does one go go rogue and still be honorable? I think it's like super common. I mean, uh, I think America's founding itself was very rogue, and at the time it was definitely more ethical than like the British Empire. And it's just any form oh, of yeah. rebellion. Now sometimes rebellions are not ethical, but all, all of the rebellions that were against unjust oppression and power structures were rogue. Yeah, man. So rebelling against uh, unjust and unfair systems is is like an honorable Absolutely. thing to do. I actually already felt that way. I was kind of leading you into that question. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, we're both pretty uh, anti-authoritarian uh, <laughs> peoples uh, on this. I don't think we've made any any qualms about that. If I use that yeah, word you, you'd have to work pretty hard to be surprised by that. Yeah, no. I mean, I'm a, I'm a libertarian myself. Yeah. Hey. Hey, with a capital L or a lowercase L? I'd say both. Like, I don't like political parties, but if I were to choose one, it would still be, it would be the Libertarian Party. Right. Like, right. Yeah. We were talking earlier, I, like, I, Andrew has really helped me become more comfortable with saying, I don't know what the fuck I am. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. I, I agree with some things on both sides, and both sides skeeve me out occasionally. So. Yeah, exactly. I, I have no idea. I don't like calling myself a centrist, though, because it makes me feel like I'm sitting in the middle of the seesaw because nobody wants to play with yes, me. Yes, like, the thing is, with, like, <laughs> centrists is, like, I don't, I don't, I don't really, like, absolutism in, is wrong in certain cases, and there's, like, centrism might be good for, I don't know, determining the budget for, like, a local, local public infrastructure. Like, maybe we shouldn't go full force, maybe we shouldn't defund it, but maybe we should do something in the middle. Like, that would make sense. But there's certain issues where centrism doesn't actually yield good compromises absolutely or or it yields compromises that are actually detrimental because not every compromise works well for both parties exactly. it's just something that both people agree on exactly and, you know people people like to make 
perfect example. People like to make compromises with uh, with gun exactly. rights, and you know there are. If you talk to somebody who is pro gun, um, a compromise in our mind might be different than a compromise in somebody who wants to ban guns is mine. Right. So that's yeah. So like like a great example is this this recent Senate bill. They describe it as a compromise, but what they really mean is that the Democrats didn't get as much gun control as they wanted, and the Republicans got more gun control exactly. than they wanted. But that's not really a compromise, right? Because we're not getting anything back. No. It's not like, you know, okay, you get your your mags capped at 10 rounds, but um, no assault weapons bans ever. Yeah. Well, did did they put a magazine ban? No, no, no. I'm just hypothetically, like, this is... Well, that's that's their definition of a compromise, for sure. Right, right. Um, So, so we've been following you for a while um, on Instagram, and... Really like your content. I think it's super informational. I like that you do a nice mix between educational stuff, um, very medical focused, and I like that it's kind of sporadic. It's not just that. It seems like you appeal to a wide variety of of people out there in the ether. Um, do you have a target audience of uh, like a type of person that you're trying to appeal to, or are you just trying to? be a Swiss army knife of good information with a Liberty mindset and like a medical background. Basically, I mean, I, it, it kind of boils down to like, uh, I, I have like a lot of interests and I've been blessed to have a whole bunch of, um, outlets for those interests. Like not going to go too much in my background, but like I grew up in like a fire-based system, but I also, um, have a military background. Like I, I love Rhode Island, like history. Um, and just liberty in general. So you put all of those things together and the different circles of experience that I've been able to leverage. And uh, I'm able to, not saying what, I, what I'm what i saying is right, but I'm able to kind of speak on things from a whole bunch of different perspectives. Yeah, and that's important. I think it's, I think you definitely bring a good perspective to the things that you talk about. Um, there speaking from experience, there are a ton of pages out there that right off the bat, at least politically speaking, you can kind of tell like what cards they're holding mm-hmm. and, and what their goals are. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that per se, but I think when you do that, you alienate certain groups of people immediately. Exactly. Whereas you, yeah. Whereas you seem to be much more uh, like, focused on the information that you're putting out there and, and maybe politics second. Cause I mean, if you follow your page, there's no, it's, it's, it's no secret that, that you're obviously at least a liberty minded person. Right. You, you value the freedoms that we have and, and the rights that, that we're fighting for and stuff. But, um, like I, I've seen, you've had posts that, that I've talked about like what your beliefs are and things like that, because I'm sure people didn't know. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think I think both are good. I think I think it's cool that you explain that kind of stuff, but uh, it's also neat that you you don't you haven't built your brand off of that. Absolutely, yeah. And like I'm I'm I uh, I like to keep it grounded um, and be like realist about my level of experience, despite having a multiple different background for those experiences. Like my level isn't like elite or anything like that. So I make sure to kind of um, address people who are just beginning, whether they, those be rookie first responders, like civilians tr- trying to be more prepared, um, cherry soldiers, like 
I'm not trying to say that what my way is the right way, but I think what I'm saying is it would have been useful for me when I first started in, in any of those realms. And really, that's like the biggest market for this information, right? Because it, to some extent, when you've got enough training, you already know like where to look for more and more information, exactly. right? And you're already sort of in the system and you're already on your way up. Um, but for the people just starting out, sometimes it can be really overwhelming trying to find a good source of just general information that isn't like highly technical and highly specialized. Right, exactly. In my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, so you've said before you have a, a slight medical background and, um, I, I use the term slight because you and I were talking before when, when we weren't recording. Um, but as in as much detail as you're comfortable with, obviously you don't have to you don't have to get into specifics. But could you tell us a little bit about your background and and how you got involved with this? Um, uh, kind of hard to um, explain without <laughs> without a lot, without uh, like descriptors. But um, I had a pretty accelerated path, like as an ALS provider. Um, I got my, I was in EMT school like two days after I graduated high school and uh, went to paramedic school within the same year uh, or the next year, but within wow. like the same like one year period. Um, and I was able to gain a lot of experience in an urban um, like EMS system in a, in a low um income area like a very violent area so i was able to gain a lot more experience than most should for the amount of time that i was um active at that point and then i've kind of built off that experience as i've gone along in the years um so yeah that, that's basically what I, what I can say for that cool yeah that's that's kind of what I was getting at that that I think is enough to at least let, get people on board who are listening to this with where you're coming from with all of this um, one of the speaking of, of, of medical experience and um, kind of like where we are as far as uh, a community with, with certain aspects of the gun community and, and um, specifically on the left you know where we have people now actively going to demonstrations and and participating in them um one post yeah, and you want to be bringing like medical gear yeah yeah exactly one of the posts that i really appreciated um that you you talked about was what is the difference between a medic and a person with medical gear mm -hmm. because i think there are a ton of misconceptions and uh overestimates or i'm sorry underestimates on on what it really means to be proficient in, in uh, pre-hospital care. Um, there are, I think one of the things that you said in, in your post was like, you know, if you have a, a, a Jansport full of uh, Band-Aids and contact solution, you're not a medic. Um, hey, but it's something. <laughs> well, yeah, 100%. <laughs> and that was like one of the... <laughs> so to be fair, that was, that was one of the comments. I think that's what we said, you know, was... Um, that you know you don't have to be a medic to have medical gear but differentiating that you are not a paramedic that you are just somebody with medical equipment and maybe a little like a baseline knowledge is important especially um 
if you're going to be going into situations where there is a propensity for violence and, and a higher likelihood that somebody could be, um, be wounded. And, um, in, in your words, what would you say is like a baseline for people, uh, if they want to get involved in a sort of direct action, um, medical provider type of, of role at these events, um, what do you think is like a baseline for somebody to know that they should know before getting involved with something like this? Absolutely. So, uh, that was the post that on, on street medics. And, uh, I think like just the mindset isn't there when it comes to what they're preparing for. Like when you brought up like the Jansport, um, like when you request 911 via like for EMS, they're not going to like my rep, my rescue, for example, my truck never had band-aids until we just randomly picked up a, a box from the children's hospital. We never had those. Like that's not never? like something EMS really cares about because it's not, it's not addressing a life threat. So if you're going to be, yeah, but it makes people feel better. That, what? But it makes people feel real. Yeah. Nice. That's why we had the box for you the know? kids. And even just for, they were minions. Like I carried yeah. cartoon band-aids for kids and adults. They were minions. Were minions that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. But like, it's not addressing a life threat. It's not saving a life. So you should yeah, have yeah. those bases covered before you start delving into comfort items. Um, and those bases covered for everyone, like regardless of whether you're in a tactical environment or whether you're um, trying to be a medical provider, those basics should be CPR, um, the Heimlich maneuver, AD use, um, uh, uh, wound um sorry bleeding control via tourniquet and wound packing um applying a chest seal um giving rescue breaths to someone who is in respiratory arrest due to like something like an overdose preventing shock due to trauma so preventing hypothermia um assisting with someone's epipen and recognizing both heart attack symptoms strokes and of and a few other and diabetic emergencies and lastly, um, uh, dealing with heat illnesses as well. So rehydration, but also oh, very very relevant here in uh, in Texas. Exactly, this week. exactly. So those are what I would identify as the absolute bare bones first aid skills for the general population. And if you don't have those down, yeah. then you need to get those down before you start uh, trying to learn things that would be medic level, like ALS provider level. Like an ALS provider, ALS stands for advanced life support. Um, that's provided at a certain level of EMS care provider. Um, and that is kind of characterized by those basic things of, of addressing the life threats. Plus we add things like uh, actually securing an airway, which is putting a tube with a balloon into the trachea. Like you're isolating the trachea. Um, advanced cardiac life support. You're giving drugs and electrotherapy treatments to uh, address someone's heart arrhythmias and dysrhythmias. So those are things that are an ALS provider will do, whereas the other things are basics that everyone should do. And those basics sound, uh, it sounds pretty attainable, Super attainable yeah. you know? I mean, it doesn't sound like simple, but it sounds like within reach of like your average You can person. learn all well, I think those skills, good... either if someone was to sit down with you who knows those skills, they could do it in a matter of hours, or 
Um, if you wanted to go and take like the traditional course format, you could take a standard first aid CPR class to get the CPR and AED portion, and then take a stop the bleed yeah, class sure. to take uh, to get the 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 new um, trauma protocols down. And both of those classes are probably eight hours at most. And then you could take a two day wilderness first aid class to be able to get the splinting and mainly the heat illness stuff down, like the more prolonged care for like the lay provider as well. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. I think that's a, that's a pretty comprehensive list. Um, I, I would agree with you a hundred percent just, just from my experience. Uh, and it does, I, I think to some people listening, it might sound a little overwhelming just when you list things off like right. that. Um, but if you, like you said, when you write everything down, if you were to write all those skills down and those classes that you mentioned gets you the, the, the pretty much the, the share of that all. Yeah, you could literally learn um, it in a day. Yeah. And, and I think that there is a, um, I almost think that some people are doing a disservice to those around them when they, when they label themselves as a medic. And, and I understand the, the difference, you know, people label themselves as medics, quote unquote, mm-hmm. we're going to do the air quotes there. Um, to just show that they have some sort of medical, get medical like caregiving uh, ability, not necessarily that they are trained up to the level of paramedic, but um, right. I think if if you are going to be, you know, I think about this from like uh like 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 a, in a video game sense. I don't know if either one of you play video games, but like you know, if you've got like the healer or like no, never, the, no. not once. Okay, all right. Like everyone should have, everyone should know how to heal themselves. Everyone should carry an IFAC. Right. But if you're going to have, serve as a primary role to help those around you, then your baseline skills need to be much higher than the average person. Exactly. Uh, because, so let's yeah. Let's back up a second too. Um, so IFAC is a really popular and common term when we're talking about the street medic stuff. Um, I don't know what IFAC stands for. Uh, Interesting. So, what so what is what is in an IFAC uh, to you guys? Like what is an official, complete IFAC? Um, and is is the, the 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 kind of basic training that that you described, Rogue? Is that kind of what you would recommend before someone starts carrying one of those? Yes, abs- uh, yes, absolutely. Um, so IFAC stands for Individual First Aid Kit. Um, a synonym for that is also Blowout Kit, depending on what um, circle you're kind of going in. Yeah, I've heard that one. Um, and then it's also important to note that like the the use case for a military or tactical IFAC is that someone who is providing aid uses your kit on you. So a lot of military IFACs will not have some of the items that um, what I would kind of want to be in a off-duty IFAC or a civilian IFAC because... A IFAC that's on a soldier's body is supplemented by a CLS bag at the squad level and then a medic at the platoon level. So if you are just yourself, then you should have uh, everything in that kit that can up to your level of training. That makes sense. And that, that is an important distinction to make, that an IFAC is meant for you. You're not supposed to be using your IFAC on other people because then it leaves you without those critical... Uh, resources for yourself in, in the event that you need it exactly um but i think like yeah that's a super important that's context, actually something i've never heard like, before it's not that someone's really going to be providing aid on you like unless you're in a team environment um you're like a civilian ifac like the ones that a better way to a sells which are really good um 
Hey, thanks for the plug. Yeah, of course, of course. I, I really like those kits. Um, that would be used on someone else, most likely. Did you? Were you the one who actually suggested us have a CPR mask in there? Yes, and I, I catch a little flack for that because people assume that I'm talking about that in the capacity of CPR for cardiac arrest. I'm not. A CPR mask, in my uh, opinion, is most useful for cases of respiratory arrest, such as uh, with a heroin overdose. Or if you just want to kiss people. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, yeah, that, and CDC recommends a, uh, a CPR mask for uh, casual encounters. <laughs> Use protection kits. Um, no, and that's, and that is a, um, it, we actually, we took that advice and we added it to the next round of them because, and, and with this, you start getting out of the realm of an IFAC, obviously, because you're not going to use a CPR mask on yourself. Exactly. But there are, if you did, I mean, show me how to do that because that would be interesting to watch. But uh, that's... It, is, that, is that what you're into? I don't even know how to begin like that, shit? that, to be honest. I don't use a mask on myself. I'm not a wimp. Anyway, um, that you know, you're starting to get out of the realm of an IFAC there. But that um, I, I think it is important to note that, generally speaking, ours has a few extra things like that. But um, generally speaking, in an IFAC, you want something that is going to stop major bleeding. So a tourniquet and wound packing material. Exactly. Um, like a Z gauze or, or, or even regular gauze that you have multiples of that you can stuff into a wound. Because if you're, you know, most people, I, w I won't say most people actually, but people erroneously believe that, you know, I'm carrying a tourniquet, I'm, I'm covered. But if you get a wound in a cavity or something that is in a spot that you can't tourniquet, you do need to pack that wound. And, you you know, you can't pack the neck, you can't pack your, your abdomen, you can't pack, I, I'm sorry, you can't tourniquet your neck. <laughs> um, we, we used to you can tourniquet your neck once. once. <laughs> yeah, we used to joke about that that all the time. Like EMT school, you can do it to somebody for a little bit, but um, there's 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 more than just the tourniquet uh, that you need if you're going to be all encompassing and, and, and bleeding control. Exactly. Um, but you know, a chest seal is very important. Tourniquets, wound packing. Um, yeah, all, all I carry is a, a, a tourniquet or two and some chest seals because that's all I know how to use. I've never practiced wound packing, um, so I don't I don't carry that stuff. But but I will eventually. They have some Hopefully. really neat classes that allow you to do that. Um, some stop the bleed classes have dummies that. Yeah, you that's can, what I want. Yeah, and I won't say all because uh, certain ones. It, it really depends on where you go, unfortunately. But it's like going to an NRA class, depending on who you get. Um, you know, it's kind of up in the air, but there are some classes that, that I've seen that have dummies that you can simulate wound packing on where you actually pack the wound and it has simulated bleeding. Um, but those, those classes are great. Definitely. So like with um, wound packing, like, like, uh, what I used to do in kind of resource time constrained environments, like when I was teaching lifeguards or when I was teaching soldiers in like a environment where there wasn't a lot of resources to use is I would use a pool noodle. And I learned that, um, at, uh, I believe I think I learned that at SWAT medic school with Sore Rescue. Um, but basically, you can take a pool noodle and kind of cut the pattern of injury you want into it, um, whether that be like a, a large laceration or a puncture wound from a gunshot. Um, and all you have to do to practice wound packing is pack that wound finger over finger with the gauze that you have and then hold pressure for three minutes. Hey, that seems... Did that your class, Andrew? Easy. 
There we go. I'm going to I'm going to buy I, my wife's going to be like, "Why'd you buy 100 pool noodles?" <laughs> Cuz you're a child. We're like, "Cuz I'm I'm practicing. Rogue Rescue told me to do it." But why do these pool noodles all have holes in them? <laughs> Other than the ones on the ends. You can still use them, you know, you kind of holes in them. Mm. They're still good. Dude, I don't know how people who are listening grew up, but none of my pool noodles were intact. Yeah, no. The ones that 100%. I got. Well, they, they always start intact, but, you know, we're not careful with them. And so, you know, pretty quickly you've got this collection of, like, like sun-faded, disintegrating what? Swiss cheese what noodles. What always happens to, to yeah. the pool noodles that I've, you know, seen is that some kid bites them. Like. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> why time, is that? Like, I, that? And that kid was me. <laughs> I was just going to say I was that kid. I would, why, why wouldn't you bite a pool noodle? Of course. It's been soaking in sweat sunblock and chlorine water all day oh it's so good dude yeah no for me it was the texture <laughs> it was the, the the feeling of it man it's, it must have been some sort of Hannibal Lecter shit I don't know I can't describe it um anyway before we go down the rabbit I don't hole do that of anymore. whether pool noodles feel like human flesh or not um <laughs> <laughs> I promise I don't do that anymore <laughs> publicly so there is a um I, I think to round out that question, like we're we're not saying that you shouldn't carry medical gear if if you don't have the skills to use it necessarily, but you should definitely put training to use that on the top of your priorities list because, uh, if, in my opinion, you know if you have an IFAC on you or if you have like what, what we have and, and it's an IFAC plus some, mm-hmm. um, having it on you even if you don't know how to use something on it. Uh, if somebody around you does, then it's good to have that near you. Yeah, I, yeah. I've heard that before, and I, I kind of wonder if that's if that's that seems like good advice to me. Um, but I wonder is there anything we're missing when we say that, or do do you really want to be able to replenish some? So like supplies? that's been like a point of contention recently, and there's good good there's good uh, kind of what is it arguments for both sides. Um, James Jager, a tactical response, like he always when he was a cop, he used to carry. A medical bag he had no training like back then like their police academy i guess back down in tennessee wasn't that great when it came to like uh first responder training so he used to go oh go figure i know so <laughs> uh so he used to grab a, like a an ems bag from the local rescue squad and then went to the hospital and said to the nurses and doctors and medics who were there if you rolled up on an accident off duty what would you want in this bag and then he put that in his cruiser so i think there's definitely something to be said for that I mean, uh, a lot of people in, like, the TAC, TAC med world don't think that that's a good idea. Like, they don't think that you should be carrying um, a decompression needle if you don't know how to use it, and I agree with that. But No, well, that's completely... But, yeah. I, I, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 yeah, no, the, no, that's not the, what... The, sh- the sharp, stabby things, but maybe. In the same, in the same, same token, like, uh, there, there is a... I don't know. There, I think there's a case to be made for someone with not as much training but knowing they're going to be around people who do have training in like a public environment to have that gear the way i see it is like the reason we don't have i've seen certain ifx sold with um nasal pharyngeal airways and for those who don't know it's it's a tube that goes up your nose to help keep the airway open when you're when you're giving rescue breaths to someone usually with a bag uh like a bag valve mask um the reason we don't have one in our bag is because of the potential harm that you can do to somebody you're using it on improperly. So one of the contraindications of, of a nasal pharyngeal airway is that if somebody has facial trauma, you're not supposed to use one. 
because they're... Uh, explain contraindication for the viewers real yes, quick. Yes, sorry. So a, a, a sign that you're not supposed to use it, a like an indicator, an indication that you're supposed to use Tylenol, you know, would be that you have a, a swelling or something like that. A, a, uh, a Tylenol is not a, not a good example, but... Um, so, like, people use nitro sometimes for chest pain, nitroglycerin, um, whereas if you are on, and correct me if I'm wrong... Um, a contraindication for using nitroglycerin would be if you are on uh, boner pills. Yep. Um, if you are taking something to help you get erect, like Cialis, uh, you're not supposed to use nitroglycerin on that person. So it's it's essentially just a, a if the person has this, then don't use right. this. Um, so the reason we don't carry things like that and the reason we don't carry things like decompression needles, uh, one, because the liability involved, we have to have a like a medical sign off to sell something like that. But two, because the possible harm that you can do to somebody, if you don't know how to use that, um, outweighs the benefit of having it, uh, if, if you're using it improperly. So like we, something that I would use, uh, that I would recommend carrying it, even if you don't have the training to use it yet, but is on the list, obviously would be a chest seal. If you've never practiced using a chest seal on somebody, I would still carry one in your IFAC because it's something that if used improperly, you can't do any harm with it. It's just not going to work. Yeah. Um, whereas if you use a decompression needle uh, improperly, you could just stab someone. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah no, a decompression so. needle is definitely not something you should be using if you don't have training. Um, and an MPA, like very low risk item, but also pretty low reward. Um, doesn't really yield it, it's not it doesn't secure the airway like people who don't know no. like als procedures um think it does like it doesn't actually secure the airway it just kind of protects the upper airway a little bit yeah like if the person's got blood in their airway or or is i don't know the stuffy person mm -hmm. yeah like like it's so it's so like people who uh who snore at night actually use mpas Hey, that's me. I've thought about that. Like when I've been, you know, stuffed. Should, on both I, should sides I should I be course. using this for my uh, sleep apnea? I, I can't recommend that. <laughs> <laughs> not very pleasant. I've thought about that though before. It's not a comfortable experience putting a putting a a, a tube up your own oh. nose. How come? Because it goes it it goes into the back of your throat and uh, stimulates your gag reflex. Usually, I'm sorry. That was that was a that was a. I was being um, facetious, being silly. I I know why. Oh, okay. It's not comfortable. Fair, fair. And, I've actually I've never really used an MPA before. I've only ever used the oral uh, airways. Yeah, those to are definitely more common when it comes to like street EMS use Thanks because uh, the only thing that like street EMS uses an MPA for, honestly, is like on on drunks. And people yeah. pretending to be unconscious so they can get around the house. Yes. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. People pretend to be unconscious? People have issues, man. And and what what what's what do you what benefit do you get from pretending to be unconscious when the If you're the, about to be arrested <laughs> and you don't oh, and you think pretending to be unconscious is going to get you unarrested. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. But wouldn't they just arrest you when you wake yeah. up? Wouldn't you have to pretend to be in a coma for the rest Basically. of your life? That is that is the logic. There's that, but there's also uh, homeless people sometimes who just want to go to the hospital um, because they have a nurse there they like, or they, have, nice they want they want warm food. Um, there's there's a whole bunch of reasons people do it, and it gets really annoying. Yeah, 
It, it sucks. Wow, like, really showing my privilege here. <laughs> why would I ever pretend to be unconscious? It why, sucks. Why would you ever do that? Turns out there's a million reasons, and, you know, just nothing to do with me. Well, if you're ever about to get arrested, just know that uh, pretending to be unconscious won't work. They'll just follow you to the hospital. Yeah. Noted. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess it's fortunate that we don't know that, that you don't know that kind of thing, and it's equally as unfortunate that there are people who are in positions that need to do that in order to get warm food and a place to sleep for the night. But that's a topic for another time, I guess. Yeah. Wouldn't it be rad if people could just like, if you could just like give people food and that's fine and not get arrested for that. Wild. You hear about these what people. A world that would be. Speaking of Liberty mindsets, what about these people that get ticketed for selling lemonade and selling, selling food on the side of the road to people or giving homeless shelters or giving homeless people food directly without going through the shelters themselves? Have you seen this? Yeah, like, no, that's, that's absolutely been broken up. Absolutely. Like, no, like that's completely un-American. It's yeah. mind boggling. There's a, there's a woman here named Joan Cheever, um, who was in a legendary battle with the city of San Antonio over, I forget what she called her 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 little meal service, but basically all all it was was she just did uh, huge batches of home cooked uh, hot meals, and she would just roll up in her van and feed homeless people. And the cops were like, "No, you can't do that. Only shelters can feed yeah. homeless people." And she's like, "Are they doing it though?" And the cops were like, "That's not our business," <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's. And so she finally, it was a huge legal battle. She got arrested a bunch of times. She got fined. Um, but her family had a lot of money. So she was like, I'm just doing this. I'm just going to do this forever. And you know, we'll I'm going to do it until you put me in jail for feeding yeah. homeless people. <laughs> until you fucking kill me for feeding homeless people. And she won, you know, eventually the city was like, okay, probably it makes sense that, you know, you don't need like a health code, uh, waiver or whatever. Uh, cause that's how they came after her. They were like, it's not sanitary yeah. to feed. <laughs> it's not sanitary <laughs> yeah, yeah. for Jesus. you to feed the homeless people. <laughs> Uh, like all those, all those, yeah. those, those uh, like occupational licensing and stuff, they're absolutely atrocious. I, I hate those regulations the most. You know, and it, it's like, it's one thing when they're like making it difficult for people on the basis of like, you know, uh, oh, we don't want you to hurt someone. We don't want you to hurt your customers, right? You know, we want to make sure that you're trained and that you're doing this carefully or whatever. But there has to be some sort of like common sense sometimes where it's like, I don't think that these health codes were really meant to be leveraged to stop people from, from just giving homeless people homeless like people. a little bit of a better mm -hmm. experience in their life. Yeah. And, and let's be honest, like when you're at that point in your life, I don't think if somebody brings you a tray of lasagna, uh, are you really going to be upset? Um, I was like, oh, I'm going to say, man, I got what, salmonella. Well, I'm going to say what the conditions of their kitchen are, are in, but I guarantee you anybody who's going through the time to make a plate of lasagna for somebody is is not doing it in a weird environment. Yeah, legit. I mean, well, there, there's definitely some, some cases probably where they work. But like, on average, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I realize that. You shouldn't said legislate. That. You shouldn't legislate based on the exception. Um, you know what I mean? And and also, like, let's look at. Um, what is it like uh barber like hair hairstylist laws and and uh, traditional african hair braiding laws like oh, you have sure. to go to yeah. like four times the length of school to become a barber than you do a basic emt that's insane oh, wow. how does that how does that make you feel it's like it, it's insane like, it's just totally barbers. insane like it, like if i get a bad haircut which i have by the way for the past two weeks now um like once every week <laughs> the past two ones were bad I didn't even notice. Appreciate it. Um, 
looks great. I just don't go to that barber again. Like, it's not a big deal. It's literally not a big deal. Like, you don't need to go to this state-mandated, like, year-and-a-half-long apprenticeship slash course that, that costs, on average, like, I think it's, uh, what is it, $17,000 in the, for the Tony and Guy, uh, sti- um, or Tony and Guy stylist, like, school in Rhode Island. Like, to be a hairstylist? That's insane. Yeah. Like, are you kidding? And to be fair, like, uh, I don't remember what it was. So, when I took my EMT class, mm-hmm. it was three months and it was $800. Same. Same. And, and they would let me ride in ambulance and do compressions on your loved ones. And, like, <laughs> but, but, but I, like, but no, I, this guy's legit. I met him last week. No, but that's, that's what I mean, though. That's, that's the amount of training required to do that. And it was sufficient. I mean, it doesn't beat doing it on the road and getting experience. Obviously, nothing no, compares but, you but to that. Somebody but somebody somewhere over time uh, calculated based on, you know, statistics and, and experience and, and, you know, various other things, you know, this is, this is the minimum that we need to not be like irresponsible, um, you know, with, with, with our, with our EMTs, with our licensing. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. but I don't believe that anybody has made that kind of calculation for hairdressers. Uh, clearly I not. <laughs> <laughs> I think that this is coming from a different direction and, and with like, you know, health codes too, uh, for like food, um, saying like, you know, no, you can't give homeless people these sandwiches that the store is about to throw. This is another fucking, I have another anecdote about this. I was going to, oh God, sorry, we're getting, we're getting a little off the rails, but here we go. So this never um, happens. I, we were, um, we were at a, a, a higher end, uh, grocery store. My, my then, my then fiance and Just I Just say whole foods, man. Uh, no, it actually was not whole foods. It was H-E-B <laughs> central market. You wouldn't know that because you don't live in Texas. Oh, is it a Texas thing? I'm sorry. I'm not oh, bougie yeah. like you guys. Yeah, that's okay. We'll we'll work on it. But anyways, um, so they're they're taking these nice sandwiches, these like muffalettas and like nice like ham and cheese sandwiches on like you know house made bread, and they're they're getting ready to throw them away uh, because they've been out on display for a day and they can't they can't stay out. And I'm like, okay, why don't instead of throwing it away, why don't I just like I could just like take them all to the food bank or like, you know, to the homeless shelter or just like give them out on the corner. Right. And the guy's like, no, uh, sorry, I can't do that. Uh, I've actually been over this a few times with people. Um, you know, it's a health code violation. These sandwiches are expired. We cannot allow them to be consumed by humans. Um, and I'm like, okay, well then I'll just take, I'll take them off your hands and I'll throw them away myself. <laughs> and he's like, ha nice try. Actually, <laughs> actually the health department thought of that already. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I, I get, uh, you know, I, I get all, I get all upset. I was a little bit, uh, I was a little bit, uh, hotter temper mm-hmm. in my youth. And I'm like, I want to talk to your fucking manager. Oh, I want to talk to your manager about these sandwiches. Uh, he's like, okay, wait right here. <laughs> and like, the manager Ugh. comes out and he's like, I need you to fucking chill because we're already illegally giving these sandwiches to a dude out back and you know, like it's taken care of and you don't need to do anything. Wow! Right. I hope I don't get anybody in trouble by saying this on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> that guy probably didn't work there anymore, anyways. But yeah, so it was like you know I, I was like upset about this, but as it turns out, they were already scheming and plotting to circumvent the fucking regulations that were you know trying to starve people and waste this yeah. food. Reminds me of like the uh, the network and the handmade tale, handmade tale, 
of like people who were were in the system, but but actively fighting against it. I love that show. I love that show and hate that show. But um, well, now you get to live it. Hooray! <laughs> Uh, All right. Anyways, anyway, so, anyway, so talking about Woof. talking about licensing and it's just craziness. Um, so, so we had well, I, you get get back to part. getting back to medical yeah. stuff a little bit. Um, what does okay? So we were talking about like basic skills, right, for like yeah. civilians. Um, and then maybe this does dovetail a little bit into uh, professional licensing, right? Because you you as a, a paramedic uh, or or something adjacent to paramedic, anyways you would have like continuing education, right? Like you have to keep going back and getting like recertified and, and, and continue learning right, your right. skills. Right. But what would that look like for a civilian? Um, what kind of things would you want them to keep going back and like getting updated? I mean, it, it completely depends on, on what their provider level is. Like, are they, are they for, for the purpose of your question, are they in a role where they are expected to be the medical provider or are they in a role where they're like, basic first aid yeah let's let's say just like your average person so just like basic first aid like just somebody who's like concerned about you know wanting to make sure he's there for him himself his family his friends um just 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 a, like a regular person who doesn't have any sort of like undue extra demands on their Absolutely. on their skills uh, so the good thing about those basic skills is that they really don't change like knowing how to use an AED doesn't change they talk to you um, knowing how to slap on a chest deal doesn't change. Same with the, uh, same with wound packing, rescue breaths, like heat illness, um, signs and symptoms of a heart attack, uh, how to use an EpiPen, and how to put a space blanket on someone. Like none of those things change. So you don't really need to do supposed continuing education for those things. You just need to kind of refresh literally those skills. Like what would I do in this situation every once in a while, or maybe put those into practice every once in a while, like do a drill, like run through a March assessment on someone. Um, but the one thing that probably, I'm going to, I'm going to stop you. Can you, can you, um, tell, tell, tell us what a uh, March Absolutely. stands so for? So March is a uh, massive hemorrhage this, but... or massive bleeding, um, airway, respiration, uh, circulation and hypothermia. Those are the, the life threats that you should address in that order when you're assessing, uh, like a, a casualty. So you're going to start from head to toe, for, for the M, but you're really going to check the areas that have arteries because you're looking for arterial bleeding. So you're going to check the, the neck for those arteries, see if there's anything spurting. Then you're going to go down the extremities, um, anywhere, all the junctional areas, and then you're going to address those life threats as you see them. So if you see, um, you know, a, a spurting bleed on the left arm, you're going to automatically address that with a tourniquet. Or if you see an arterial bleed coming out of... Uh, like the groin, you're going to automatically wound pack that. Um, and this is in tactical field care. So care under fire is a different, different discussion. That's not really relevant. Right. But yeah. So. The way, and, and I actually learned it in the improvised trauma class that I took. Uh, he called it S March and he added security to the right. beginning of it. Um, and I, I thought that that was really interesting because I had never heard it uh, phrased that way. It was that, you know, it's like any sort of like medical uh, intervention that you do might really not mean anything if, if you're not in a safe position. To Absolutely, do it. yeah. The, so the best medicine in a firefight is superior firepower. That that's how it's always been explained to me. Um, seen because you're not going to be able to help anyone if you get shot. Like, here, take these bullets. Yeah. 
if like there's a terror attack, like they always try to do secondary attacks on the first responders. Like they did that, I believe, uh, in Japan, they released another attack on the responders to a subway. Um, because if you kill the first yeah, responders, yeah. then no one's going to help the, the victims. Right. And even even in something a bit more uh, um, topical here for the states, something like a mass shooting, um, you know, it might make you, you you might see somebody with a with a massive hemorrhage, but it might make more sense to uh, pick them up or drag them out of the the area where there's shooting going on before you start thinking about putting a exactly. On. And that applies also yeah, to, to like I don't want to say everyday uh, um, circumstances, but not tactical circumstances like. Uh, like right, electrical right. hazards or water hazards or fire. Yeah, like somebody falls on the yeah. third rail, get them off the rail and off of the tracks before, you know. Exactly. Did you see that video of that guy who jumped onto the third rail to pull the other dude off recently, yeah, though? Yeah, that was crazy. That was... and, and talking about the, the, the cops in the subway? No, no. It was... No, I didn't see that one. This guy was... It was an outdoor uh, train track. And this guy had either fallen or was pushed onto the rail and was getting actively electrocuted. And this dude jumped off of the train uh, landing and pulled him off and, like, was getting electrocuted. You could tell, you know, like, one uh, one one fun fact out of there. If you ever, not that we're recommending you do this, but, you know, situation dictates. <laughs> yeah. If you ever need to pull somebody away from something that is actively electrocuting them, make sure you to use the back of your hand. Mm. Because when you get electrocuted, you tense up. And if you grab someone and uh tense up then you are both getting uh to do the funky dance um and that's that's not good and then you're then your rescue returns into a victim but this guy yeah act, uh pulled the dude off of the third rail and i don't know what uh what happened to the guy but um i think somebody donated a car to him yes yep definitely uh, which is kind of cool it was like yeah. some like ceo somewhere that did that who saw the video knew the yeah. guy or something yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thanks, for, thanks for saving my friend. Here's a free card. <laughs> I'll take it. Listen, I, you know, free. And the IRS oh, gets yeah. involved. <laughs> Nothing is free. Um, but yeah, that that is a, uh, um, as far as classes for people to go down and 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 prioritize like that. That uh, I I like where you went with that. That. The skills don't change, yeah, just, but just brush up on 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 yeah. how you would react in those situations. Make sure that you can recite uh, March off the top of your head. Exactly. Yeah, and a that lot of that of is is um, like people still do that. I I do I do that with uh, medical calls. Like at my work, um, you know, the acronym that we use is is sample, and I I recite that to myself sometimes when when I am like stuck because a lot of times you know if you don't go um if you don't deal with something a lot uh when you have to deal with it, it it's it's a stressor and contrary to what people believe you know when you're stressed out you don't rise to the occasion you fall to your highest level of training and little things like keeping things simple uh like acronyms like march or s march however you want to say it um will ground you and like bring you back to okay these are my priorities this is what i have to do and and like um rogue rescue said uh you know the things don't change but if you don't stay up to date with them and, and you don't uh practice them semi-regularly then then when that happens when when you know the proverbial shit hits the fan uh 
you can forget it or you you can just like blank out it's happened before it's happened to the best people it, it will it will happen to you absolutely and like like the best way that that's ever been like i was i was kind of like a not a spazzy um baby medic but i was definitely overthinking things because i didn't have <laughs> as like good that. of a basic framework as i as i should have had when i became an als provider um and a central falls fire department rescue lieutenant just broke it down for me in the most simple way possible and it was if they're not breathing breathe for them if they're bleeding stop it like and that's all you have to think about that's literally all you have to think about if their heart's not beating pump it for them if they're not breathing breathe for them if they're bleeding stop it it's so simple yeah why doesn't everyone do it <laughs> why yeah how how could nobody how could anybody not the one it? the one thing that does change um a little bit though is cpr guidelines um we've kind of moved yeah. to compression only or continuous compression feel, as opposed to yeah. 30 and 2 i feel like the cpr that i learned in elementary school if if you did it today somebody would be like hey you're going to kill him i guess <laughs> Like how irresponsible of you to do it that way. <laughs> Any CPR is better than no that CPR. That is also true. Is yes. it? Yeah, like like okay. shitty okay. compressions are better that. than no compressions, but good compressions are way better than shitty compressions. Exactly. Uh, because if you're giving somebody shitty compressions, and like for those who have never given compressions before, if you feel their sternum crack, you're probably doing it right. Mm -hmm. um, Ew, gross. Yeah, it's not it, the first time. The first time it skeeves you out, but after that you get used to it, um, especially on the elderly. Unfortunately, it's well, kind of you know, the fun thing about sternum's cracking is that it gr they grow back. Yeah, and I'd rather be a little uncomfortable for a few days than dead. Yep. Yeah, you, you can't make them any deader. Like, if you're doing CPR on someone, they don't have a carotid pulse, they are dead. So. Yeah. Um, but, like, like Rogue Rescue was saying, that, you know, that used to be ABC, airway, uh, breathing, circulation, and now it's cab circulation airway and breathing so you're because they found that you have enough oxygenated blood in your system that if you just help it circulate uh you've got a better chance by the time uh, they get to the hospital or by the time they get like definitive not definitive but pre-hospital like professional pre-hospital care uh that they're better off yes than going Man, from the airway to, body is wild it is it is and it's surprisingly resilient we're so we're so fragile and so soft, but also so hard to kill. <laughs> Yet so easy. Yet so easy, but so <laughs> difficult. We're like goldfish. <laughs> De deceptively simple creatures. Yeah. So this was a um, this was actually a question that somebody wrote in, um, and it's it's a little off from what we were just talking about. Little, little shift in subject matter. Yeah. But um, I, I do think it is it is important uh, just to ask, even if you don't have any personal experience with it, but in, in today's day and age, but what does being a gray man mean to you? Uh, I'd say just being able to almost be like a chameleon to whatever situation you're in, whatever setting you're in. So, like, don't try to be a specific look to be a gray man because it's not going to fit in everywhere. Yeah, because then people will be like, hey, look, there's a fucking gray man over there. <laughs> well, then look if, that gray if they dude. do that, then you're not being exactly. gray. And people think like wearing 5-tac 11 pants and a tucked in polo with, with your phone clipped to your waistband and, and a set of uglies is gray man. Uh, then I'm sorry to tell you. Okay, but, but those 5-11 jeans are really good. The stretchy ones. The jeans are different. For, I'm, 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 a, talking I'm, about a, I'm a chunky guy, and, and I got to tell you, those are some of the best fit 
jeans that, that that I can find on the market today. Dude, I I feel you. I'm borderline. I should should not be appendix carrying. Uh, and like in a couple more a uh, couple more turkey dinners, uh, stretchy jeans are life. Hundred percent. I got some lucky brand ones. Nice. Ooh, bougie. Okay, nice. so so um, blending in, right? But but is it always just blending in, or is it just like not looking tactical, right? You know, because so, I mean, what what if what if it's like short shorts, tank top, fanny pack? Is that gray man? I'm asking for <laughs> a friend. Spring <laughs> break, definitely. I'd say so. Probably not in November. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Rogerescu. Uh, repeat what you just said. That was good. You killed him. Oh no! I think we lost yep, him. He's dead. I think we oh, lost him. Oh no! It sucks when your camera freezes right. and it just freezes on your face like mid-expression. <laughs> this it could have been worse. Yeah, we're still this recording. Is, is not a. Let's yeah. see if he comes back. How have you been today? I've been great, man. Thanks for asking. I um, I really actually I only just put pants on before this, so that's a pretty good day so far. Why did you bother putting pants on? No one's gonna see your crotch. Uh, you know, I have this weird paranoia because my basement window faces my neighbor's house that they're just, they're going to see me walking down my stairs in my underwear and just know way too much about me. And they'll like be able to make fun of me at like a, a gathering in my backyard one day and talk about my weird legs or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> do you have weird legs? No, I don't think I have weird legs, but they might say it. And then <laughs> Why do you worry people are going to talk about your like, legs? Am I? Then I'm the guy who has to defend my legs. You know, I, I've got you know, nobody else <laughs> wait, at the party. Wait, 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 wait. How many people why, at the party why, have seen my legs? Why is this where your mind goes? I'm, I'm just saying, man. I, you know, I put on pants if I have to go in my basement. Also, also. Have what you is, ever, no, what is the source of this, this trauma that makes you so scared that people that are going to see your legs? a story for another time. I don't know where the story... We can go dive down the source of all my trauma if you want one day, but I don't know where any of yeah, it we'll comes do that from. On next episode. Next episode. <laughs> is, uh, Jordan's trauma. Yeah. The source of his leg anxiety. <laughs> um, we were, we were right, entertaining so we were ourselves about, while you were gone anyway, so... <laughs> We're talking about gray man shit. We're talking about my my totally hypothetical short shorts uh, outfit. Completely um, hypothetical. Completely, yeah. Um, and you were you were starting to say something about you know as long as it's effective. Yeah, absolutely. Like uh, like I just can't really fight in like open toed shoes. I know some people can, but like that's just not something I could do. So as long as you know you can still be effective in what you're wearing, I would say that's a good consideration. So Jesus sandals are out. Yeah, no. <laughs> what did you say, Andrew? I just go barefoot, dude. <laughs> that, that, when the action Moa? kicks off, I just go. I just go but barefoot. Like it, dude. But at that point, when you're feet. running into, um, like broken glass, like environmental hazards, like fire, stuff like that. Listen, just small <laughs> concerns, little details. I don't, I don't think closed-toed shoes are going to protect you against fire. Oh, you'd be surprised, man. More than open, more than no shoes, for sure. Yeah. Like I mean, if you step in like I don't know flammable liquids, you might have a little bit, yeah. little bit of time to kind of get out of that predicament. Versus or take your shoes like, off like when they're on fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that that is that's a hundred percent. They are, I, and I also think there are different levels. Though I don't, I don't. I think the importance of being a quote unquote gray man is matching your environment. 
Um, and if, say, Andrew is walking through the uh, you know streets of New Haven, which is by where I live, not not where I live, um, in in a tank top and board shorts and sandals, like he just came from the beach, it might be a little weird. He might stick out a little bit. Um, you know, from from the Yale students that are walking around in their in their college tees and jeans and slacks and things like that. Um, but like, here's a here's a here's a relaxed dude that's up to no good. Yeah, but if you're going to the beach and you carry everywhere, and the only place you can carry is in your fanny pack, then then I I would say that's appropriate. Yeah, yeah, I agree. We're 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 circling around this this tank top and fanny pack and 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 board shorts persona, but. But I think this applies to anywhere, really. You know, there's one of the big things that I would struggle with um, when I first started carrying was uh, how to carry in a tucked-in shirt. Mm -hmm. And um, because I had an inside-the-waistband holster at the time with a full-size handgun, and doing that with a tucked-in shirt, um, unless you wear a jacket over it, is, is kind of impractical. And there were times that I wasn't able to wear a jacket to where I was going, so I was like, well, how do I still carry the things that I need to carry and, and be effective. And, you know, I landed on pocket holsters and things like that. And, and without going down that rabbit hole, I, I don't really do that anymore. But, um, yeah, that's, I think, I think that's, that's important to, to make sure you blend in with your environment and, and in a way that still makes you able to respond appropriately to the level that you're able to, if you're, you know, you're not expected to wear Salomon shoes everywhere, uh, in case you have to run long distance or, or over broken glass, but as best as you can. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I feel that. I feel that. Yeah. So, so kind of to that point though, um, uh, so just talking about gray man stuff. Um, it, I, you know, I've seen some, some posts on your, on your page about like gear selection. So, so I'm, I'm assuming that this is a, a question that, that you'll be comfortable answering, but, um, for your average citizen, uh, um, how do you feel about the distinction between um, like covert and overt gear? And like, what, what do you think your average person should be focusing on? Yeah, that, that was a really you good know, question that, I, that I'm pretty stoked to kind of uh, address in this um, because I come from like a, like a suburban area and an urban area. Um, uh, Rhode Island's very densely populated, but I think this also does apply to the rural areas as well. Like, Hypothetical scenario, let's say we're in like Red Dawn and like Russian Spetsnaz are jumping over the town high school and now you're trying to go through vehicle checkpoints and stuff like that as you conduct your operations. You can't really be over in those situations. And let's take this down to like civil unrest. Let's say you're trying to protect your home, trying to protect like your little family store or whatever. If you roll out in full kit, that's not going to look great it's not good optics in in the current environment like that's going to be that's going to yeah, draw yeah, attention even if you're within your rights to protect your store or whatever that's not going to look good and it may escalate things with police it may escalate things with the crowd it may deter some of the crowd too but they might be like oh wow this person is definitely milit militant against us as opposed to they're trying to defend their store or whatever so yeah. yeah. So you might be you might be running off looters, but then drawing the attention of of more ideological um, uh, kind of exactly. That's a very exactly. It's a very good good observation. Um, yeah. So I do like uh, a lot of the things that have been coming on the market lately and how concealable they've been. So 
I think like the Cry Precision, like LV MBAV and like that type of plate carrier is a pretty good option. Oh, that thing looks so cool. I almost bought that. I haven't even seen that. So OP Tactical just got them in stock again because they're not available um, to the civilian market through Cry Precision themselves. You have to go through like special channels because they're like a US SOCOM like contract item. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, look it up. Cry LV MBAV. Uh, just a right really now. low profile um, plate carrier. I almost got that. I ended up just for getting concealable soft armor. Instead. Yeah, and then if you wanted to do that, like the but, Cry LVS is like also a good option. Great, like the, the best option on the market for both concealable soft armor and you can scale it up to carry a plate. But there's other, you know, less expensive options along that same, uh, same like uh, use case. Because with that, you can scale up to ballistic protection. And then still have items on you with like a low profile chest rig, like a Spiritus Mark V or like uh, on Obtanium gear. They have this thing called like the Dank Robber LV. I am familiar. I actually own a, a few uh, unobtainium gear um, chest rigs. Yeah, like I, I really like 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 a lot of the things that have been coming on the market for that. And then of course like the Unity Tactical Clutch Belt. That thing's amazing. Um. Yeah, I was really interested in that. I, ne I never pulled the trigger on it, but but that's a really cool concept for for anybody that doesn't know what it is. It's like a um, um, it's like a uh, if you can imagine like an, a cummerbund with an elastic cummerbund with cells, but it's it's a belt that wraps all the way around, and it's meant to be uh, you can like roll it up and tuck it away with all the gear inside of it. You know, uh, you got your your holster in in like one big cell. And you've got like like mags and other gear, and they make like different. You can use like like other people's like um, nylon with with Velcro kind of spacers in there. Um, but I think Unity Tactical also makes some stuff for it. Yeah. Um, but you can just tuck it in a bag, unroll it, uh, put it on. It's got grippy stuff on the inside. It's very yeah, cool. Yeah. So I, I did a post on it is because it's current my currently my like home defense like like anti home invasion kind of load bearing because it's quick to put on um, and still also concealable. Yeah. Um, I think that's a great option for that. And what's really nice is that Vertex just decided to mass produce it. So the Unity Tactical one that's made by Unity is like USA made and like super high quality materials. But if you wanted to get it cheaper for like the everyday person, Vertex makes one for 50 bucks. And what? at that price point, you could almost have multiple... Um loadout maybe not necessarily like with like you know uh you you could use them in, in, a, in a couple of different exactly. ways um with with different kinds of gear and have them stashed in, in places where you might need and i it. can conceal it under like a relatively tight hoodie with a full-size handgun in the waistband i'm like I, man you know sometimes i feel like i'm super keyed into like what's going on and things like that and then things like this come up and i realize i've just I'm just super like needle focused on certain things and know absolutely dog shit about everything else. No, I've, I've been there. I've been there. <laughs> what do you mean? Like another. You mean, you mean you're just not, you're not like, you, like all this stuff we're talking about is just like not, not uh, ringing a bell. No, no. I, I'm, I'm like literally looking for the post on, on Rogue Rescue's page right now. Um, and I'm saving a bunch of posts <laughs> that, that specifically yeah, yeah. talk about gear. Um, that uh, that I hope people go and look at because you have a ton of really cool uh, like recommendations for things um, that I have noticed before and for some reason my phone's not letting me save this but uh, yeah I guess because I'm not currently in the market for for and I guess this probably goes for anyone about anything um, 
I, I'm I'm one of those people that when I'm about to buy something, I will spend, I will be up until two o'clock in the morning for like two weeks straight researching a product. Mm-hmm. But if I'm not currently oh, yeah. about to buy it, I I don't know anything about it. Like, well, I, and that's that's how it was for me with this concealable stuff because I I, I just got this unexplainable hard on for for low profile gear that uh, none of my friends understand. Um, you know, and, and I just I, I've I've been through all of these. You know, like Unobtainium Gear is a great company, um, but I actually didn't start there. Um, what, what really got me keyed up about it was the Spiritus uh, bank yeah. robber. Yep. Um, and that, that's what got me kind of like thinking about it and, and kind of going down that rabbit hole. And I ended up just way more interested in, in concealable stuff than uh, than overt equipment. Not to knock, uh, you know, like real plate carriers with, with big rifle plates and everything. Um, because I, I, I'm, and I, I'm sure you agree that there, there's definitely a place for that and those, that, that kind of Absolutely. stuff. And I think people really need to be honest about but... what their role would be in like a red dawn situation or just protecting their family. Like some people try to, uh, like you need to have a, have a pretty good foundation and skills to be able to do anything, uh, defensively offensive, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, I, I think yeah, I know for you. sure. Like. Most people who collect gear, like Instagram gunfighters, would definitely be relegated to something really nothing more than like a like a strong point, like checkpoint. Or a loot drop. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I, I have to be kind of honest with myself too about, you know, in the case of, of you know, really civ- probably civil unrest is most likely, but in the worst case, like a civil war. I'm not really like on anybody. I, I I don't know. I don't know that that's something that I would want to participate mm-hmm. in as a combatant. The I would think that you know, g- given the sides that are most likely to to come to blows, it would probably be me trying to keep a low profile, just trying to keep my family exactly. safe. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then again, like the concealable gear definitely comes into, into play there. I think that's important to to note that. And I think most people, you know, are uh, now that the the whole boog movement has kind of subsided. Um, I think most people are a little bit more realistic, unless you talk to these people, these like oath keeper types and whatnot, which are a whole different level of cringe. Yeah. But uh, I think most people are pretty comfortable and realistic with saying, uh, or at least aware of their level of of skill, um, in in how realistic it would be in, in certain environments. Um, I know there are probably some people who aren't who who vastly overestimate themselves, but um, I I recommend to everybody if you have it available to you to take a force on force class if you if you have something near you that that uses simunition um, that can put you in a situation where you are shooting at a human target and they're shooting back at you because there is nothing more humbling than thinking you are a good shot on a flat range and then trying to shoot someone while they are shooting back at you knowing knowing I mean not even knowing that you won't die like clearly knowing that you won't die and still losing all ability to like hit a target uh, effectively yep. because getting shot with those things suck <laughs> more than anything yep um, really you know once you once you go through something like that it's it's it really makes you take a sobering look at the level of skill that you have and your what your expectations were from it and kind of 
reimagine uh, like a more realistic outcome, a more realistic uh, plan of, of of attack for for what you would do in certain situations. And and I think what Andrew said is, um, like I would probably have to say that myself. You know, I I. I think about in in the sense of like the demonstrations going on over the last couple of years, um, the ones that I went to, I I I played a very you know benign role in because at the time you know, uh, I had a wife at home you know I didn't have a kid yet but you know, you 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 weigh your priorities and and what you need to do to return to those priorities and and to get arrested or worse while you know in in a situation where you know you may be doing what you want to do but not what you should be doing um is 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 sometimes not the best or or even andrew said the the this really stuck with me um you know andrew i hope you don't mind me me speaking about this but uh you know it's fun. when he was telling me that you know he really wanted to go to a lot of these demonstrations but you know with oh yeah having a new baby at home the most revolutionary thing for him to be able to do was to raise a kind and and caring son. Exactly. And exactly. that like, you know, it's, it's, it's something different to everyone. Um, I, I think we're getting a little off topic here, but I, I, I think, no, no, I, I think that the, the flow of this conversation makes sense. Um, because we're talking about, it's like, do you want to be obviously a combatant? Um, and have a lot of gear on you that could be very useful in a, in a sustained firefight or, you know, in, if you have to like hit the woods or, you know, like, uh, live off the land for a while, or did you, do you want to try to fit in, in a, in a slightly chaotic, uh, urban center, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And to be fair, you know, what most people think is, uh, you know, like when I was in the Marines, we, we'd carry six mags on us, uh, plus one in the, in the rifle and, that was called a combat load of, inf- of ammunition, but you're not by yourself. And that's a big thing that people forget is that they, they think that, oh, okay, if I'm carrying this much ammo and this much kit, that I'm going to be able to sustain a firefight. But you're not in a fire team. You're not in a, a squad. You're not in a platoon of people who, who have things to support you in this role either. Mm-hmm. You don't have, if, if, you, if you don't have a way to communicate, if you don't have a way to navigate, if you don't have all these things that, and this, this is why, you know, back in the day when, when I first discovered prepping, I was like, oh, yeah, I have to get a whole bunch of cans of beans, cans of beans. That's how I'm going to survive. And then you realize, like, if you don't have a community and the same thing goes, it's why it's why uh, it's why the, uh, combat units don't operate as individuals. They operate as units. If you don't have a community, if you don't have a group of people working to support you, um, you're not going to be good for much. And. Uh, you know, I, I think these lone wolf wrote the, these stories that people romanticize out of movies and things like that are completely yeah, unrealistic. Yeah, for sure. It's just not, it's not realistic. And, and I, I think that this is all this, all this talk of like major civil unrest and like even civil war is kind of academic. But if we look at like what's going on right now and, and what, what we really probably should be worried about, it's, um, you know, either participating in a protest or moving through an area where there's a protest that could turn into a riot. And, you know, what do you want to have on you, um, to get you through that or to help your friends, um, you know, who may be brutalized by the police or by counter protesters or something like that. Or even being in a situation, I'm, I'm sorry to bogart the, the conversation here 
uh, from, no, from Rogue Rescue, but even being in a situation, and I think about this often, um, we see these situations of, I, I, I'm not going to mention any names, but I saw a video on Instagram today of, um, it was like a four minute clip of a guy in a pickup truck with a Gagston flag driving, um, not through protesters, nothing. It was just, it was like a four second clip of this guy driving through an intersection. And the, um, the caption in the comments suggested that this guy was on his way to or from, uh, like, assaulting protesters because he was in a truck and because of the flag that he had on, on his truck. Um, with nothing before or after that. Right. And, uh, you know, aside from just, I don't like making assumptions about anybody regardless of what side they're on. But Yeah, but people will make assumptions yeah, that, that's 100% what, what kind of thing you're displaying. Yeah, and one thing that I've always thought about is, you know, if if I am stuck in an area that is mobbed by a demonstration with my family in the car, and something happens that I have to get out of that situation quickly, not maybe not necessarily something involving the, the people demonstrating, but like a family emergency or a medical emergency, I, I can be quickly uh, um, assumed to be someone who is counter-protesting by dr trying to drive through a group of people. And this is why, you know, and I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of flack for this, this is why I don't agree with blocking roads. Because you have people who have emergencies. And, and, and there are ways to do it, and, and I, I hate that I even say this because I sound like fucking Biden telling people to protest peacefully, which I'm I'm not a, you know, I, there there's there's absolutely a place for violence, but um, that thank God we don't have any sponsors. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, I, I think about that. I think about like the person trying to get home to their family whose, whose mom is on, you know, is on dialysis mm -hmm. and who needs to get, get to a, to a ride to, to go get her, uh, her, her blood filtered or like, you know, the person who's giving birth in the car or the ambulance that's trying to get through. And I think to myself, you know, uh, what if I'm seen as this person who's trying to run through protesters? And because I'm trying to drive my family home or I'm trying to drive to the hospital or something like that. And, you know, things can get out of hand very quickly if that's the case. Yeah, and no, absolutely. That, that's, a, that's a huge point right there. I know like Rhode Island troopers got a, got a, a lot of flack from, from the left. And uh, last year there was a BLM protest, which totally, totally reasonable. Um, it was peaceful um, for most of it. and they had the entire city to protest. But then one group of about 40, 60 people tried to go on the interstate um, and they blocked the road. And then the state police obviously cleared them off because, again, like you said, that blocks people who are trying to go home with their families on dialysis. It, it, it was very close to the hospitals. It blocked those rescues who were trying to get to the hospital transporting critical patients. And if there is no police able to be there to clear the road for you, how are you going to get out of that? without being seen as without being also mobbed by the group who seen now identifies you as a counter protester and adam holroyd brought up yeah. the opportunity to get airsoft uh, flashbang grenades and that kind of works to disperse people from your vehicle yeah but now what are we talking about like i mean like should should people be carrying airsoft flashbang grenades in their glove box like in the case of of events like this it's right it's 
I, I don't. I don't. Yeah, it's especially that uncomfortable that's... because you, you might be driving through a protest that you ostensibly agree with. Right. Yes, yeah, that's you what know? I'm saying. And, and then they just have the wrong idea about you, and it's like, what are you supposed to do? Now, if you defend yourself or defend your family, now you are feeding into that also because they're going to be enraged and and think that you are doing this intentionally when they're because it's not like you're going to get out and have a conversation with people who are already emotional and right. reasonably so in, in, in a lot of these cases, but uh, it, it really just, it puts you in a state of vulnerability that it, it's like, if somebody calls you a racist and if you say that you're not, then you're, then you obviously are because you know, you're, you're arguing so vehemently against it kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's just a, uh, I don't know. I don't know what the right. It's a sticky is situation. Very sticky. And I, I, th I think that uh, I think that the point that we're kind of like meandering towards is that, like in in these kinds of situations, you know, you might really want to keep a low profile rather than looking like ready to ready to throw down. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And if you know there's a well, protest, I'm... like just stay away from it. Like, Absolutely, and that's the biggest thing is with any kind of conflict yeah. is avoid it when possible. I'm, you know, unless unless you've got something to lose and something to gain, and like you need to be like participating, you know, really, it's best to just keep your right. distance. Um, you know, I think I think uh, leave, leave the uh, leave leave the observations to the to the journalists and the bloggers, and uh, you know, yeah, great point, great point. In, that's my opinion. It's a it's a it's a priorities thing. You know, we're we're in no way saying that people shouldn't get involved and do things, but. If, if you've got your, your family in the car, there's a time and a place. Mm -hmm. and uh, Or your family at home sometimes, you know. But it, to some people, some people also don't have the privilege of being able to stay out of these things. You know, I'm, I'm a straight white man, uh, so I'm fully aware of, of what I don't have to participate in where my life will be unaffected by mm -hmm. it. Um, whereas, you know, now with the reversal of Roe v. Wade, uh, you know... I can't. I it, it it affects people who I love, but it's it's unfortunately that like my priorities lie with my family and and it sucks. It sucks not to be able to do both, but um, there are people who who feel very strongly that if they don't, if nobody, if everybody thought the way that I did, then nothing would ever change. Right. 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 So you know, God, God bless the 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 protesters. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Hey everyone, this is an ad for our Patreon, so if you don't feel like listening to it, feel free to fast forward about a minute. But if you like what we do and want to support us, then listen in. Don't you wish every commercial came with that little blurb? So if you're new to the neighborhood, Patreon is a website that allows us to funnel our desire to make this podcast into a shameless cash grab. Kidding. But really, it's just a way for you guys to show us that you support us, that you like what we're doing, you like what we're about, you want us to do more, expand, do bigger and better things like take over Tesla and SpaceX and kidnap Elon Musk whatever the details don't matter but in return for your support we have multiple tiers available with some sweet perks ranging from stickers to discount codes to shirts and a lot of other things that are exclusive only to our patreon your contributions will help us offset some of the costs of running this podcast as well as keeping me fully stocked with spiked coffee beverages for those late night recording sessions and fueling andrew's unhealthy thirst for revenge against Wooby's shoes He's building a mech robot in his garage. It's a little weird. I think he's planning to do something strange with it. But anyway, if any of this tickles your fancy, then please go to the link in our Instagram bio or patreon.com slash a better way to a to check it out or don't. But it would be cooler if you did. Anyway, back to the show. Enjoy.
but yeah. Um, oh. So, Covert Gear <laughs> has anyway. a place. Um, but kind, kind of not exactly along those lines, uh, but I, I wanted to kind of pick your brain, Rogue, about... Um, you know what? So, so we've talked a little bit about like sort of realistically assessing your priorities. Um, from your experience being being a paramedic and, and your your ALS uh, experience, uh, what do you, what do you see being like the the biggest like threat to the to the life and livelihood of, of your average citizen? Like, what what did you what did you come what kind of like major injuries did you come across? Uh, most consistently and you know is, is it something that like an armed citizen would be prepared for or is it something that like you know is it, it just sort of environmental factors yeah threats or injuries yeah that that's a that's a good question i think um like the the list that i kind of rattled off in the beginning is 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 pretty inclusive of everything that you could face at a basic level um, like all of those skills are still relevant in a car wreck, despite there not being a, a gun present. Um, like if you start doing, if you're in a hot area or like there's elderly people in a hot area, you're still going to encounter those heat illnesses, despite you not doing anything athletic, like you're not at an athletic event. It's just in public and it's hot. So all of those things are very relevant just almost depending on where you are, what the season is, what's going on. Um, I don't think anyone is really more common than the others so much. Um, except altered mental status of all types is probably the most common, but that includes like heat illness, diabetic emergencies, strokes, um, drunk people. That's probably the most common, but that's because it's, you know, four or five parts to it. And there's really yeah. not much to be done so, so much at the at the basic level, so much as recognizing it and uh, treating what you can treat. Yeah, and then calling the, the appropriate resources for that, you know, calling 911 if somebody's having an emergency or unable to take care of themselves. Exactly. So let me, let me reframe, reframe this question then a little bit. Um, I kind of asked it with with the the perspective of of like what should a, a prepared citizen be ready to have be ready for to happen to them, but mm-hmm. it sounds like uh, really a prepared citizen should be ready for certain things to happen to other people too. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I'd say that's like kind of the hallmark of being a prepared citizen versus just being, um, I don't know, not self interested. That's not the right word, but worried about your own survival. Right. I think there's a difference between like a prepared citizen and then a survivalist. Yeah, that makes sense. Or even like just a, you know, if you call them a member of the community versus just an individual. How they see themselves, you know, being prepared on an individual level versus being prepared uh, to help your community or help members of your community. Yeah, that's a good point. I always recover from. I, I can't help but think of whenever somebody calls himself a citizen, that video of the, the two fat cops changing, chasing the woman and yelling at the person filming to grab her. And he's just filming them. And the cop goes, aren't you a good <laughs> citizen? And the guy's just laughing like, what do you want me to do? <laughs> he's going, she's a, oh, it's funny. Yeah. It's it's funny. And I hope other people would react in the same way because they're this, this cop and his partner are just chugging along. And not catching up to this, this, 
this lady who's running away. She like ditches her purse or shoes and just is bolting. And they're, they're going, grab her, grab her. And he's like, what, what the hell do you want me to do? And the guy goes, come on, aren't you a good citizen? That's so annoying. <laughs> yeah, I... I uh, just can't can't even do the 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 few things that you really would expect a cop to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, no surprises anymore. But um, so uh, to branch off of this, um, there have been a ton of high-profile mass shootings, and I say ton. There's been a couple, but a, a couple well, are a know, lot. This you is know. this is the kind of thing. It's like so. So we kind of talked about. Like, what should you really be worried about statistically? Now we're talking about something that's that's really not statistically improbable, right? But it's still very scary. Yes, and yeah. and I think you know people. We we can look at how focused uh, anti-gun people are on gun laws when a school shooting happens, even though they make up like point zero zero two percent of all gun deaths versus. Uh, the fact that like 5,000 people under the age of 18 get killed or, or die with guns, I shouldn't say killed because they're not all homicides uh, with guns annually and people don't seem to, to mind because they're on an individual basis. There, it's one here, three here, two there. Um, but with the number of, of high-profile mass shootings that have been on the news, how would you advise someone to prepare for something like that or something similar to that? a mass trauma event, like a mass casualty event? Yeah, no, that's definitely a good question. Um, so yeah, I think it is important to note that they are exceedingly rare events, but the basic skill set of, of the prepared citizen that I've kind of, that I outlined actually in my last post, um, is completely applicable to that scenario. There's just a few things that you have to take into account. So instead of just an IFAC, you're going to need to scale that up a little bit so that you can handle multiple casualties because, you know, a uh, mass casualty incident is kind of defined as five or more patients depending on what metric you're using. Um, so the active shooter bag that I keep in, like, a personal vehicle um, has, like, six tourniquets, uh, 12 vented chest seals, so two, so six, 12, uh, six two-packs, and then a whole bunch of space blankets for that injury pattern as well with combat gauze. And then you need to focus on breaching too because breaching and identification come in, come into play here because I have a medic um, identifier that I keep in my everyday carry in my back pocket and it's reflective. So that's good for both like vehicle accidents or you're coming up in the mall and, and like let's say I'm in civilian clothing. Like someone's like, all right, who the fuck is this person? Why are they trying to give me medical care? Yeah. If I have like a medic identifier on me, they're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Um, it's reflective too. So at a vehicle wreck, it protects me. Um, and it gives you credibility at any scene from both the patient's perspective as well as responding for uh, like first responders. They're like, who is this person? They're not in, they're not wearing a uniform. So being able to identify yourself at these incidents is key. Um, And like Virginia Tech shooting, for example, the reason that was able to garner as many casualties as it did, one of the reasons is because he locked the doors to the academic building that he was attacking. So the cops had to go back to their cruisers to get breaching tools which thankfully they did have in this circumstance 
Um, so one thing that I've kind of used for that for that mission set, I guess you could say, because it's it's pretty compact and you can stick it in a bag, is the breech pen by uh, I forget who makes it, but like a pararescue dude, he created it. And it's got like a 25 second burn time and it'll burn through any padlock, chain link fence, whatever you need to get in in that immediate circumstance. Are those are those expensive? I've, I've seen those, but I've never looked at them. Is it how realistic yeah, I mean, for someone to carry? It's realistic. They're like 82 bucks to 100 bucks. So it's not terrible, but it's not like cost effective by any means. Yeah. But for the capability it, it presents and the speed that it'll breach something, it's definitely a good option. So that's something to have in, in in a case like you said you have you have an iPad but you also have uh, like a like a response to it I forget what you called it but like a yeah so like I have like in my in my vehicle and this might be overkill of course but I have like my everyday carry that's on me and then I have an aid bag and then I have like a mass casualty bag with extra items in it as well and I did a post on that it's a Eagle Industries active shooter bag um, very well made compact bag for the for the for that type of mission. Yeah, that's cool. And um, I definitely think that is something that has to do with your perspective, which is which is healthy. Um, because you have the education and the experience to, to know what you're going to need, you you know that there is a... Uh, that having that is, is just going to extend your, your reach as far as preparedness goes, whereas, um, you know, most people having just an IFAC... Is, is good for like the majority of incidents, but but um, you're going to need that extra stuff if you if you run into something a little bit more complex. Right. Um, one thing right. you you did mention that I wanted to talk more on was um, that you keep an identifier for yourself as a medic, and um, that's great. It's it's one thing that I don't think is talked about enough, and I think. In a medical sense, it is it is something that's very important. But also, as a gun owner um, and as someone who carries regularly, I I think it is important um, to carry some sort of identifier that and and re- whether or not this works as well as as in a uh, non-emergent uh, medical sense, it would. Um, sorry, let me rephrase that. <laughs> It, no, I, I get what you, I get where you're coming it from. It works in the sense that, like, uh, if you roll up on a car accident and you want to convince or or help alleviate the worry of the person you're helping uh, by saying that you are medically trained, but I think it's just as important for a gun owner to carry some sort of visual identification that shows that they are not a threat to arriving law enforcement. Um, and yes. I used to I used to think this was this was um, you know I I I worked uh, very briefly at a at a gun store in Tempe. Um, and they sold these uh, little uh, badges that say like CCW on them. I used to think these were the dumbest fucking things um, uh, because some of the dumbest people I'd ever interacted with bought these and like wore them <laughs> or kept them for like, I'm going to slip this on if I ever have to shoot somebody. And that mm-hmm. way everyone's going to know I'm the good guy. I'm like, maybe. Um, I thought it was the dumbest thing. But then it's like you hear story after story of, of some of like a security guard, an armed person. Uh, stopping a mass shooting or shooting a, a so, you know, like, do, do, you know, there was a threat, guy shoots the threat, cops show up, and they're like, there's the bad guy, and just shoot the guy dead. John Hurley, right. uh, last year, yeah. uh, a man named John Hurley in uh, Colorado, I believe it was, um, 
responded to an active shooter, shot the shooter, and then when cops arrived on scene, they shot and killed him. Exactly. And it, yep. it is a very rare um, and extremely unfortunate situation. But just as we're talking about, you know, needing to carry a way to breach a door or a fence or something like that, being all, or, or even mass shootings be, being extremely rare, for the amount of space that it takes up carrying a fold-up, uh, like, minimal vest... They make these ones that are bare bones, that are literally just straps. It's not a traffic vest like you're a crossing guard or anything like that. Uh, yep. it, bare bones, and they they have a Velcro slot on the back. You can you can I think some of them say civilian, some of them say um, like gun owner, something, some some things that you know to someone not involved with this. Good guy with a gun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like um, like the one that I carry is made by Gray Fighter. Um, uh, it's definitely, I'd say, the best the best made option for, for everyday carry, and it just says medic, and they make one that says EMT as well. Um, they don't really make anything for the prepared civilian, unfortunately, but in that circumstance, um, Visiblue, I believe, and Don't Shoot Me Banner are two companies, I think they are, that will make them in security. Does it actually just say medic, Don't Shoot Me? Or, uh, that's the company. That would make sense. Okay. They do make those, but they... They make one that says security on it and like versus medic or police, like those are more protected titles. Like you're going to be like, if you're not a cop and you're wearing a police banner, then you're going to get fucked, obviously. And medic isn't really relevant if you're not a medic. Yeah. But security, like that's up for interpretation. That's not a protected title. That doesn't say like you're the security for the premises. Like if you have any training, you could probably wear a security banner and get away with it and it'd be a pretty good identifier. At least initially to keep you from getting shot by arriving police. Exactly. Yeah, and then there's time for clarification later. Hey, I don't work at at Walmart. I just shot the guy who was shooting people. Exactly. Yeah, and I I think you'd be hard pressed to find the place that would sue you for doing so. I don't. I don't think if you're if you're the one who stopped a potential tragedy from occurring, then then that you're going to get too much flack from that. But. Um, I just wanted to touch on that because I thought that was that was cool that you said that, um, and I and I thought there was a way to apply that to to gun owners in general, um, and it's something to think about. It's not you know it, it's it's up for interpretation as to whether or not it's worth carrying for everyone, but um, I I don't think there's such thing as too much identification, and especially when you're walking yeah. around with a gun in your hand post uh, situation, um, because you don't know if there's more than one threat. You're not going to reholster as soon as somebody as soon as you end the threat. Um, all a cop needs to do is see you with the gun in your hand and, and she can go from bad to worse real quick. So, Absolutely. I think Tommy Freefield training on YouTube has uh, some good videos specifically on identification for at critical incidents. Yeah. Um, I apologize. I had my fan blowing into the mic just there. But yeah, that's... <laughs> okay. <laughs> um no, that's a good point. There's there's tons of resources out there to, to go into more detail about the stuff and the benefits of it also. Um, what was the one you just mentioned? Uh, Tommy Freefield Training. Actually, yeah, he's Tommy Freefield Training on Instagram. He's Freefield Training on uh, YouTube. Freefield Training? Yep. He's a good dude. Cool. Yeah, it sounds... I mean, that sounds really good. I got. I love this breaching... I just looked at this uh, breaching pen that you mentioned. This super fucking cool. I like that um, I found this company, Defco, that uh, sells breaching pins with fire suppressant. Yeah. Uh, I, they, they, <laughs> I'm like, hey, that's a good idea. 
It, yeah, they 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 make those for flashbangs too. I think it's kind of kind of a a sham because it's like fifty bucks for like like a a tiny a tiny fire extinguisher. I thought it was to stop the fire you started from breaching the door. It is in that circumstance, but it's also <laughs> like if you have if you throw a flashbang in a room and then it starts like the carpet or something, you can put it out before it spreads, which is a good idea. But like you know, you yeah. you obviously know like an ABC fire extinguisher has what like an eight second spray already yeah depending on the size yeah and then you bring it down to a mini size like super mini like smaller than like a coke can it's kind of like sneezing in a fire i I don't think the uh, waco cops had uh those fire suppression sticks no (laughs) anyway always gotta bring it back to waco listen it's all about waco people don't people need to remember waco I just can't believe they were actually able to get, like, Abrams and Bradleys for that. Dude, the 90s were a fucking wild time. Dude, it was wild. We weren't at, like, right? 90s was peacetime? I mean, we've always been at war. Like, relative somewhere, peacetime. But relative peacetime. So they had all these tanks stateside that they were just doing nothing with. And the National Guard was like, let me at them, you know? And, <laughs> not, you know, I, it wasn't the National Guard. It was the FBI and the ATF. But, I mean, they probably have tanks. So, actually, I'm not going to talk about that, but. <laughs> that's a detail we don't need to talk about on, uh, on, on let's air. talk about tanks um yeah that's it's funny we shared a um so what was the guy's name from ruby ridge which guy what are you talking about the, the guy, guy that, the dad the oh, randy the, 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 the victim randy of ruby weaver ridge. yeah yeah randy weaver so randy weaver died uh, the other day, and we we shared a like an image of him, and I said like R.I.P. Randy Weaver, um, and dude was a piece of shit, but like the shit that he re- like that was built off of him, and and I say piece of shit because of, you know that people say he was a white supremacist and stuff, um, but but I hate that we can't appreciate the things that something the things that have happened because of an individual without looking like we support the individual themselves because we shared this post that we actually deleted because we're like oh, it's not not worth it um of us uh, saying r.i.p randy weaver because it started this whole snowball effect of ruby ridge and then waco and then people like waking up to realize holy fuck the government like actually doesn't care about you they will kill you and 24 children um in in your home uh based on on rumors and and things like that to to cover up shit and to make themselves look better than because of shit they've done in the past and it uh yeah we ended up deleting it because we were like ah that's the last thing we need is people thinking that like we like him because he's a white supremacist because believe it or not you know uh even regardless of of all the stuff that we say uh in opposition to white supremacy you share one post and uh, people all of a sudden forget some of that stuff. Some people forget that stuff. Yeah, that's a good point. Like I've never, I've never heard anything about Randy Weaver being a white supremacist. So some I people mean, but talk about shitbags. Like David Koresh was in a real shitbag. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like so literally. Ra- yeah. Randy Weaver is arguably a white supremacist. Um, There's he lived in an area with a lot of white supremacists. He hung out with white supremacists because they mm-hmm. were his neighbors. Um, I mean, he was a white guy from his day and age, so he probably didn't have, like, super clean um, views on, like, like race politics. But I think a lot of it comes from them using... They said he was a Nazi, 
So in counter protest to the ATF being there, a lot of Nazis showed up. Mm, and then people yeah. were like, oh, well, he's clearly a Nazi. Um, but it just so happened that these yeah, people Yeah, he's not his... telling him to go away. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But these people were also his neighbors and, you know, people that, that were at the local bar and stuff, I'm sure. So it's it's not that we're, you know, it's where you, you walk this line of sounding like an apologist and, and yeah, just we, wondering. We got to be <laughs> wondering clear, if you clear have all the information. Fuck, fuck Nazis, fuck white supremacists. Yeah, yeah. We have Sorry, to... what'd you say? What'd you say? Uh, there's uh, just like nuance to like a lot of things that people don't take into account yeah yeah, yeah there's that sure. n-word again yeah we don't nuance. that's one n-word we do say on the air uh and <laughs> off the air that at all uh jesus <laughs> we don't say the n-word we God don't damn it. we don't ever say it we, that's that's the joke we say we say nuance we say nuance <laughs> that's the one it's the only n-word oh god anyway Thankfully, I can't get canceled. And that was like, the right. end of Jordan's podcasting <laughs> yeah, career. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Um, well, that's all we got for questions. Um, anything else you want to you want to touch on, man? Uh, if it wasn't already brought up, I I, I uh, definitely wanted to touch on the like the the concealable gear because that's kind of been yeah. passion of mine oh, lately. Yeah. Definitely. So I'll about concealable gear again. But uh, we already brought it up a little bit, but there's just a couple more options that I thought i should probably just drop down it'll be on my page soon too but like if you create like a small chest rig and then you add this tracer tactical um rig plate bag it basically turns it into like an old recon vest so it's basically Isn't a chest so rig with cool? a front plate that thing that thing fucking rocks i that's another one i almost bought but yeah. I, I i decided for me Probably the weight of a plate on thin straps uh, wouldn't be super comfortable. But he's also got the those those thicker straps, the H harness that that's probably a bit better. Yeah. And then uh, I don't know if you saw Shaw Concepts new new plate carrier, which is super expensive, and you can't buy the plate cab uh, plate bag separately, unfortunately. But if you use their chest rig, you can attach the front plate bag to that as well. And then still detach a placard. So you could just be wearing a front plate, like if you're driving, and then attach a placard to it if you needed it. That's so rad. Yeah. And, and so, cool. so you think, I, I, I wasn't sure. I thought it looked super cool, but I also thought maybe I, I'd get fucking uh, uh, reamed for, for, for wearing just a front plate if, if, if I bought that sort of thing. But, but you think that that's practical? You think that that makes sense? So I mean, yeah, like, I think it makes sense in, in a lot of in a lot of circumstances. Like, I'm always the one to wear front, back, and side plates when a lot of people don't wear side plates. But if you're marching over long distances, then I'd rather have a front plate than nothing. I think. Yeah, man, that makes sense. And the and the cool thing about uh, from from what I understand, anyways, the Tracer Tactical plate bag is that it's actually it, it seems like it was sort of interoperable with a lot of. Uh, um, you know, uh, X straps, H, H, no, H yeah, straps, and another plate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Spiritus, whatever. How does this Kaylee. work? Does it work with like the clips that, uh, no, so it's literally just like got like two webbing, webbing loops or straps on the plate bag itself. And then when you clip your H harness or your X harness into the placard or the chest rig, you're going to go through those loops. Oh, so it holds it against your chest, like it holds it in place. Yeah. And you yep. use instead of a cummerbund, you use the regular backstrap for your for your chest rig, and you just snug it down, and the chest rig holds, 
uh, be- between the webbing and the Velcro on the chest rig, it holds the plate up to your chest. That's really neat. I gotta hang out with yeah, you. Yeah, he's, he's, like he's got some great products. Yeah, that sounds that sounds really cool. I have to uh, I have to talk to you guys more about gear because I I feel so out of the loop with this stuff, and uh, I start to sound like a I boomer. Don't... Like what, these, new, these new. I don't have a lot of gear, but I, I look at a lot of gear. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I don't have a lot of cars, but I look at a lot of cars. Like I still I can talk your ear off about cars, but that's that doesn't mean I own a lot of them. I think it's you know <laughs> the the information is good to have for sure. For sure. Yeah. 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 Well, I feel really vindicated because I talk to a lot of people that are like, you know, like, bro, play carriers or nothing. Well, I mean, but that's like, I don't know. There's a lot of hate on the micro rigs recently also. And I don't own one. I own a plate carrier because that's, that's my preference, but there are people hating on micro rigs also. But like, in my opinion, it's, it, it's better than nothing. It's, it's, if you can carry equipment on you versus not carrying equipment on you, then, then it's better to carry equipment on you. But comparing it to a plate carrier, obviously carrying equipment with protection is better than just carrying equipment, but it all depends on what you're doing. You know, if you're like, like, uh, like rogue said, if you're walking long distances, if you're trying to get around and stay mobile, then, then having a, uh, you know, being, being the tank for your group of people is, is not necessarily uh, going to be practical. Exactly. And you know, this shit's like cyclical too, right? Like the, the people's gear preference. Uh, just look at, just look at the height of optics, man. <laughs> all of these super expensive Unity Tactical two inch risers, all this shit. Like, bro, you just put back in the day, they were putting Picatinny rails on top of the fucking A2 carrying handles. It's the same height. Yeah, yep. You know? Exactly. We're, ba- we're, we're returning to tradition. You not care about height over bore. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it's the same with these, these, these micro rigs. It's like, it's not like there's no precedent for micro rigs and why they became popular. Vietnam. And then, yeah. And now the people that are like, no, you don't want a micro rig. You want a, a huge load bearing rig. They're just following the same pr- trajectory that, that the conventional wisdom was like fucking 40 years ago. Yeah. And, and we're going to be, and it's, it's like you said, I, I didn't know this. I, I've never heard the term recon rig before, but it sounds like even for something like tracer tacticals, um, uh, modular plate bags, you know, it sounds like it sounds like you know that's there's some precedent historically for that too, and it's just going to yeah, go around and around. Two thousand, like early two thousands, like the Eagle uh, RRV was like the like high speed plate carrier. I rocked a, uh, a a Eagle Industries Mar Cirrus plate carrier. That is like yeah, for for that. some that's people, amazing. yeah, dude. For some people, they're like, oh god, what old man? Like, I got it for a hundred and ten dollars surplus on ebay brand new surplus like it was just not used and it is it's it's exactly what they were transitioning to when i when i got out of the service um like from the from the regular uh before we were going to plate carriers and like sure it's not the best thing out there i'm sure but it carries everything i need i personally like more molly webbing more more molly attachment points for me is better than i'm not a micro rig guy um Plus, I'm a tall guy. I feel like uh, I like being covered by fabric, at least. It gives me some uh, mm-hmm. some false sense of security. It hugs me. And, uh, I'm really just you may not know this, delicate. but he also uh, does not like it when people see his legs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you weren't here for that. <laughs> so he, he likes to he likes to be completely covered yeah, in fabric. What I didn't tell you is that it's actually a Molly dress. Uh, I have plate carriers <laughs> all the way down to my ankles. 
but so but yeah. so Jordan, you've never you've never been into like concealable stuff. You've never like thought about like getting getting some some sort of like load bearing stuff that you can you can tuck under a jacket. Not really. It, you know, the the most that I've ever done that was when I I used to do I used to my old job was uh, I was a security guard and I used to have a concealable vest that I'd wear, um, underneath it and I wore it a couple times like in certain environments that uh, you know, were a little bit more austere than than my normal day-to-day kind of thing but um not regularly and i didn't invest in anything um to do so but that yeah i don't know i mean call it a uh call it a financial priorities type thing you know i i have no, for sure for sure that makes sense yeah and, and that's that's mainly what it's been i i would love to get more involved with that you know when when things kind of calm down a little bit but um it seems like things have never calmed down <laughs> financially. So that that's one of those things that, uh, uh, you know, like, like we tell all the people, people all the time, don't go into debt to buy cool gear, but, uh, mm-hmm. but definitely have the stuff that you're going to use and that's going to work for you. That's kind of where I'm at now. I'm like, I have the stuff that I'm going to use and I'm that that's going to work for me in most situations. Um, but you know, unfortunately I don't have a piece of gear for every day of the week yet. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. And what about Rogue? What about you? You know, I, I know that you, you do. We're, I know that we're not. We don't have like specifics on what you do day to day. But, um, you know, is, is there any kind of sort of like self defense gear that a, that a paramedic might be interested in wearing? And would it behoove them to have it hidden or or difficult to to access? No. Yeah. So I mean, I I think that all fire and EMS personnel should have rifle rated body armor and helmets. I mean, not the helmets because those aren't rifle rated, but they should have ballistic helmets and rifle rifle plates. Like that's definitely an, a critical necessity, I think, for anyone who's expected to respond to a violent incident or an act of terrorism. Um. So. Yeah, you should definitely maintain a plate carrier, and departments should issue it, and then you should probably get a better one. Um, as an EMS provider, um, a lot of good options for that. Um, you know, and because like load bearing gear for, a for, a uh, an EMS provider probably is not, not functionally super different. So, you know, you could, I, I can envision like a, a plate carrier for, for a paramedic that, that would, you know, you'd be able to hold a lot of uh, stuff that a, that a paramedic would necessarily want, as opposed to like a like a cop or a soldier. Right, right. I mean, I'm not um, too into wearing like external vests day to day. There's there's a lot of people in uh, FDNY. Like if sometimes their EMS does beat patrols, almost like with the cops. Like not with the cops, but like on the same level as the cops. Like dismounted, they like around Times Square and stuff. And when they do those details, they wear external vests soft armor vests and you can put some of like the necessary items to to treat casualties um on those external vests but if you're responding to calls day to day you probably just need a plate carrier to kind of upscale um for the incidents that you know you need it um i personally think firefighters and and medics should be armed as well but that's a different discussion um i would love to pick your brain about that one day (laughs) um so the Ranger Regiment, for example, they're like kind of who we look to in the Army for the best standard operating procedures. And for a long time, they've made their medics and their medics have made themselves carry life-saving treatments on their body. So basically, your first three minutes of treatments 
as a tactical medic, should be without opening an aid bag. Like, life-threatening bleeding should be controlled before you even open your bag. That's a good point. And that's, you know, what I, what I was thinking when you were mentioning uh, the things you're able to carry on, on a plate carrier like that. Because there, if you think about all the pockets and all the attachment points that you have on, on a load-bearing vest or a plate carrier for offensive stuff, uh, you can use those same attachment points in pockets for, for defensive stuff. Um, exactly. And or for like uh, Pro Medical did a really good blog post on on uh, working off the body, and it's definitely something I learned in, in SWAT SWAT school as well. Like your basic treatments should be pretty focused on the belt or on the vest, um, and your advanced items like your intubation items, like your surgical items, that and your blood that would be in a bag. Yeah, that makes sense. That's that's a good uh, that's a good tip for any any first responders listening out there. But I mean, then again, of course, there's certain instances where I'm not wearing anything that's load bearing, and I'm kind of just in a traditional uh, medical role where I just have a bag, and that's fine too. But it's also a different operating environment, and I'm not expected to continue move. Like I can treat at the point of injury. I'm not going to have to move that patient. Right. danger or something yeah and you're not gonna have to you're not gonna have to like on foot move from from patient to patient over like a large area right so like when i went to swat school like uh the the instructor there termed it as planting like when you open that aid bag you're planted because your bag's open and now it's harder to move quickly yeah that makes sense so briefly because I, I know we're approaching the two-hour mark, but you mentioned that you think that firefighters and, and, and medics should be armed, and we've this conversation's come up a lot. Um, it comes up every time there's there's an LOD involving, uh, and I'm sorry, LOD is line of duty death, um, meaning meaning like firefighter or medic. Um, I'm sure cops use it also, but um, FDNY had one. Uh, I think it was last year where a firefighter was stabbed, st- uh, shot. Um, responding mm-hmm. to a call and the conversation was was uh restarted about whether or not firefighters and, and medics or emts should be armed and there's it is a very contentious topic because there are certain people who believe in the uh, school of thought that we have now that we don't enter a scene until the scene is secured and the people who secure the scene are law enforcement and there are also people who believe that um we don't carry for an offensive role we carry as a defensive role that that in the same way that a medic in the military carries a rifle um to to defend himself and and obviously they're they're in firefights and they're they're engaging in offensive uh um operations but the 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 way that medics would carry a shotgun you know back in world war ii and i don't i don't know if they still do it um but in Vietnam, because their their job was to protect the patient, and and that was at close range and things like that. So there's there are definitely different schools of thoughts about it. But um, what is your rationale rationale for for why uh, firefighters and, and medical uh, professionals should be armed? Definitely. So it it fully comes back to the whole uh, the best way to harm more victims is to. Uh, attack the first responders because you can't help the victims if there's no first responders. Um, and that's literally like a huge goal of terrorism. If you're responding to an act of terrorism, you need to have the same ability to protect yourself and protect the patient 
as police would. Because I don't think that police, their job is scene security. Their job is to go directly to the threat. Whereas the rescue profession, fire, EMS, their job is to address the patients. So in this current paradigm, we have to divide the cops. Half are going to go to the threat and half are going to protect the, the medics. Or they're all going to go to the threat and no one's going to going to be able to help the patients. So if we were to arm firefighters and medics, then those guys could go right to the patients while protecting themselves and the cops could focus on solely addressing the threat. That would uh, add more resources, more armed resources to these circumstances where, where we need them. Um, and I don't think that you should be in the EMS profession if you wouldn't enter a hot scene because at that point you're no different than a nurse or a doctor. Like those guys want to be in hospitals because they want to be safe while they want to do their job, which I get. And they do, they provide a higher level of care. But if you're operating in the pre-hospital environment, you have to be accepting of all of the risks of the pre-hospital environment because that's literally your job. I, I like that answer. I, I also like spicy answers that are going to uh, upset some people. But uh, <laughs> I, I think like it's spicy. I, I think the nature of this stuff is is going to um, is, is very uh is very divisive with with how people. I don't think there's anybody in the middle of the road on this topic, uh, right, right? Which which just shows that it's something that we need to talk about more. Um, and then one thing, like I know a lot of people bring up how like uh, you know weapons require training. Yes, and and of course like, but we could talk about police training, which we're not going to. But firearms is not like the majority of the police academy like they have other jobs regardless of what your opinion of police is and what their function is in society like they have to focus on the laws they have to know like how to operate on domestic violence they have to know all of these things that come down to criminal and civil law that are not firearms related the firearms portion defensive tactics is relatively small so you could conceivably train a firefighter and medic to use force and protect themselves without going into the law enforcement function. Do you think that, uh, so obviously cops have opened themselves up to a ton of liability as, as we've seen, you know, in, in, uh, countless cases, um, where, where some have acted, acted inappropriately and, and, uh, you know, open themselves up to justified liability where, but also where some have acted appropriately and people have perceived as inappropriately because of because of media because of people's people's beliefs and things like that um do you think that because one of my things that i think about with this you know like being a firefighter like one of the things that we say all the time is like there's no song called fuck the firefighters um yeah (laughs) do, do you think that if firefighters and medics were and same thing with medics, same thing with EMTs. Like we're we're almost seen as this. Uh, like nobody's ever upset when EMS and fire arrives. Nobody's nobody's ever like, no, fuck you, get out of here. Like very very rarely, unless somebody's in emotional state and something like that. Do you think that if firefighters and medics and EMTs start carrying firearms, that they will then be seen as almost indistinguishable in certain situations from police, in, in the way that we will be opening ourselves up to that same type of liability that, you know, if a firefighter shoots and kills someone who, uh, granted, you know, like volume of interaction is is significantly less. Um, but do you think that that could have a negative effect considering the, I guess what I'm saying is, do you think, should we be armed all the time? Uh, should we like, 
all carry guns around or should we only should we have like a designated firearms person on firearms related calls and and is that something so, that should be scaled to to like meet the threat in order to kind of like save the core of what our job is gotcha yeah so i mean i i the way that i envision it working is like uh, i don't know if like your your department is an als department when it comes to like uh, engine companies but i mean all of the the systems that I've kind of seen in Rhode Island are ALS systems um, at the engine level. And like there's a narcotic storage box on an engine. And I think yeah. you could store a weapon for every firefighter in a retention holster, like a paddle holster in that narcotics box and then break it out. If you're going to an active shooting, active shooting, a suspicious package, something like that. So I love this conversation because it, it really, opens up like a whole bunch of other world of, of, of things to talk about here too. And, and, uh, I kind of, I kind of know how this is going right now. There's probably a bunch of people listening to this who are like, I have no idea what, what these people are talking about. And then there's probably well, like no, six I, or seven. I people. will say for me, I definitely don't want more armed agents of the state enforcing the will of the state. But if we're talking about like, I want, firefighters to be able to defend themselves if they're getting shot at. Like that's a reasonable thing to say, right? You know, that's yeah, not the same thing as I want, I want, yeah. I, I don't want firefighters to show up and shoot it, shoot at the shoot at a fire. Like, no, I mean, it's, it's not, there's no role where they would be using this in the, in the, in the, in, on a fire you know, scene. Yeah. The prosecution of the, of their actual like job. But I think that like anybody, firefighters have a right to defend themselves and a, and a right to, a right to live. Um, so, I mean, it makes sense. It's not, uh, this is not nonsense. It's just, it's uncomfortable to think about yeah. life-saving workers carrying, uh, you know, tool, tools meant to kill people. Well, and I think it definitely is. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think that's something that people, I personally don't know how I feel about it. Um, part, part of me thinks that, you know, in the situations where it's necessary, I, I absolutely, you know, more tools, the better. Um, mm -hmm. but you know, you mentioned a firefight, a firearm for every firefighter, and and you know, narcotics box things like that. So, like, we're not an ALS department. We have a uh, in in town ambulance service that is ALS um, that works alongside us. So, we our fire department is primarily um, EMT. We're all EMTs, but we're primarily fire. Um, and I think of the limited space that we have. Like, this is just one of the things that my head goes. Like, we don't have enough room for the stuff that we carry now. Right, right. Where you know, where am I going to put rifles? Where am I going to put handguns? Where am I? Where? How am I going to lock this stuff up? We don't lock any of our compartments up right now because we're we're fortunate enough to we work. It's it's a very mixed city, like as far as like crime goes and and, and demographics. So like we we I I don't know. I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that like people respect the fire department there, um, and and don't don't fuck with our shit really. Um, it's happened in the past. We've walked out to the, not when I was working there, but we walked out to the bay to people in the in the truck and you know in the driver's seat, and who knows what would have happened there. Luckily, fire trucks don't have keys, but um, there. Uh, it just it is a very I think it's a very complicated topic, and it's it's something that I'd be curious to hear what people with much more experience than myself think about it. Um, mm -hmm. on both sides to, to, to get more information because I definitely see the benefits. Um, but like, like Andrew was saying also, you know, it's, I, I don't want more, more, 
um, municipal employees uh, to carry guns. Uh, but I also think we have the right to protect ourselves. And I, But this is also coming from somebody who's never in my professional experience had to defend myself. So I'm sure my I'm sure there's tons of people who would think differently than that. And um, I'm also I'm an EMT. So my my level of responsibility is less than that of a paramedic. So I, I wonder if I would be more receptive, receptive to something like that than a medic would or like a different medic than yourself. So. It's, it's a very, I think it's a very complicated topic and I, I'm really, it, it's, it comes up a lot and I'm really interested in it. I just, I don't know which way to go. Here's a radical idea. Uh, instead of um, asking paramedics and EMTs and, um, you know, life-saving people to add that, that the, you know, the carrying a firearm to their, to their list of, of tasks – why don't you just leave it to the people that are already willing to do it and already already have access to firearms and, and proficiency with firearms? Well, I think that's kind of how we that's how I view arming teachers. I don't I don't think right. you should issue every right. teacher uh, an AR right. and tell them to defend right. their I, school, but allow yeah, I don't want I don't want to deputize uh, firemen and uh, teachers and all of that. No. But I think that just anybody that wants to defend themselves and has the will to do it uh, should be able to. But yeah, right. allowing and, and to carry in their workplace is different than saying here you're going to defend this classroom. Right, and, and that, like that's like my my approach when it comes to like the libertarian philosophy when it comes to army teachers. Well, I don't believe in army teachers. That's not what they signed up for. They are civilians, but if they want to conceal carry, that I believe that's their right. But it's a different when it comes to firefighters because firefighters are sworn personnel um, just as police are, just as the military is. Like it's the exact same oath. So yeah, I, see, I, think, I see where you're coming from with that. Yeah. There's, yeah a, so, there's a certain level of responsibility that they have uh, above and beyond you know, what, a, what an average civilian would have. That exactly. maybe in your duties of protecting someone, you may have to – Take, you may have to use a firearm kind of thing. Or, or if you exactly. have that opportunity, then you should take it kind of thing. Right. Yeah, I, I, I get that. that that's, um. yeah, I, it's, like I said, it's really tough. I, I found myself almost spacing, like going into deep thought thinking about this because I, I still, it's almost like you'd have to, I would be very interested to see a study on this done where they test mm -hmm. it out in, in certain environments and see how people react and see how they're, see how the, uh, see how the, the personnel uh, reacts to it as well. Definitely. And it's not without precedent. Like uh, Florida and California, all of their SWAT medics are firefighters and they're armed. Yes, but... And there's a difference between, I think, my, it doesn't make, arming firefighters doesn't make them SWAT medics. I think every medic is a tactical medic because they're expected to operate in that, in that setting regardless of whether they're armed or not. Do you mean in, in these states specifically or in general? In general. I think every medic, every pre-hospital provider in this country is a tactical medic. Yeah. I, because I, they're expected to go to scenes of violence. I think I think that's, that's where the school of thought uh, separates. Um, just based on people that I've spoken to about this, that there, there are some people who believe that... Uh, you know, as a firefighter, our job is to provide medical assistance and to put out fires and, and, you know, extricate people from vehicles and things like that. And that a paramedic's job is to provide life saving 
interventions, but that doesn't include stopping a threat that that um and this isn't my belief necessarily but 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 this is this the the other side that i've heard um just based on people that i work with that that is not in our job description we have a hard time getting people to go replace smoke detectors in people's homes because they say that's not why they became a firefighter (laughs) i that that, that's not you know that that type of community outreach is not in in these people i don't subscribe to that belief at all i think it's that's ridiculous but um I, I I think that there are I think Andrew's idea is probably the best as far as like implementing some sort of way for people who want to do it to be able to do it and those who don't want to but then you know you come down to the people who don't want to thinking that the people who do are a liability you know we all have that 10 percent yeah. rule no that's a good point is is you know and that's where rogue's approach might be better is you know you, you definitely want this sort of cultural unity in your in your in your department right you don't want to create a schism where it's like you know you got the click of the gun carriers and then the click of the anti-gunners it's like right. it, it may be beneficial for a fire department if they're going to allow if they're if we're going to allow for the idea that firefighters can carry guns, it may be beneficial to say you know you're you're a sworn person as as Rogue put it you know you you do have a duty uh, to be proficient and to carry these. Yeah, because this this brings me down like a Fahrenheit four fifty one vibe in, right, in a right. way where it's like you know you got firefighters showing up with guns it. it I don't know. It, it, it really, it... it's, it's, it's tough. It's, it's, I think it's, I think it's, you know, cause we have this image of life-saving personnel is like essentially peaceful. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it really sucks to, it really sucks to say now that you're a life-saving personnel, uh, you don't have the, the ability to defend yourself while you're working. Yeah. Well, it's been, like, I think one thing that I, that I like arming firefighters, that is definitely something we can debate. But one thing that's not debatable, though, is the rescue task force concept, which is making uh, EMS go into warm zones at scenes of violence. Like that definitely is the job of a pre-hospital provider. Like the scene can't be fully secure before they enter to provide life-saving care. I yeah. think you, you calling it a warm zone is extremely appropriate versus the hot zone because a hot zone is where there's an active threat and a warm zone is in between the, the cold area where there's zero threat and the hot zone where there's an active threat because you don't, and that's, that's constantly moving too. I mean, a hot zone for those listening would be like a locked room or a corridor of a building that, you know, there is a threat in, but the cool zone, or I'm sorry, the, like the warm zone could be the room and and the areas directly surrounding that where the threat isn't in, but it's still not safe to be in. And Exactly. I, I, like with F- FDNY, for example, like FDNY, super aggressive department, great firefighters, and but their union doesn't always speak for them. And their union had this mentality against the rescue task force concept that was saying, we're firefighters, we don't go into scenes of violence until they're fully secured, which doesn't make a lot of sense because you're going into a burning building. So the <laughs> firefighters, on, on average, yeah. were, were, were <laughs> That's against a good it. point. We're against it, but there's this IAFF, not, no, it's not even at the national IAFF level. It's like certain fire unions and EMS unions are against bringing their providers into scenes of violence until they're fully secured, which is not reasonable. I yeah, think because you could, you could delay life-saving care for a long time, you know, case in point, the fucking, uh, Uvalde shooting, 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's like if you wait until everything is absolutely under control to give anybody life-saving care, you know, you could you could end up losing a lot of people that could otherwise exactly. have been saved. You can bleed out in three minutes. Yeah. And I, and I think there's, you know, there's, and I'm, I'm sorry to keep playing devil's advocate here, but but the, I do really enjoy this conversation. And um, I think there is a, there, there are people who could argue that firefighters and medics uh, like risk versus benefit type thing. Whereas mm-hmm. like we, of course, yeah, we go into burning buildings. There's a fire there, but we knew that signing up, we knew that we were going to go into burning buildings. Now you're going to have people. And I say, we just, I'm speaking for, for the people who are arguing this point. Um, mm-hmm. Now saying that on top of going into that, this is a new, this is a new part of the job description that we did not sign up for. Um, how how do you expect people to do this like how do you how do you expect and it and it's i don't know it is uh i think you make some very good points and and i definitely agree with some of them and i and i but i but i find myself playing the what if game and mm-hmm. you know i i i know you 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 could probably guess what i'm talking about here but like there's or or have somebody in mind but there's always the 10 percent rule you know whereas like of anybody in a certain group of people, there's 10% that shouldn't be there. And yep. that's, I, I apply that to workplace. I apply that to social things. I apply that to these, you know, politics. There's always 10% of people who, who get focused on or who shouldn't be there or who somehow skirted the edges and, and made it to where you are now. And I imagine giving those people guns and giving them the same ability to carry a gun as, as somebody who knows what they're doing and somebody who's competent uh, or somebody who has the best intentions. Um, doing because I'm sure there are some people who you know you have people who become cops that uh, were, yeah were isn't that and... sort of a isn't that sort of a separate question though you know because it's like if your question is well well some of these people might not be competent enough uh, for me to trust them with guns I see like, okay well well why are they competent enough for you to trust them <laughs> as a firefighter well, a, a, you know? a lot of people don't yeah, like is like you're, we expect them to provide medical care, which is incredibly complex. Yes. But like, like that's a huge argument. Like it's a little bit different, but not like actually no on the fire level too, like vertical ventilation. Yeah. Very high risk, very complex skill. I'd say arguably more complex than, than use of force people, especially considering also that most cops can't shoot. Yeah. Well, it, but and yeah. then cops will oh, also run into fired. burning buildings and fuck everything up. <laughs> but that's besides the point. Um, for those listening, vertical ventilation is when there's a, a hole cut in a roof to allow the smoke to escape, but simultaneously there's water being put on the fire so that the so fire follows flow path, which is where the air goes essentially, which is why they tell you to shut your doors when you sleep, um, because it keeps uh, circulation out of your room, and and so they show these pictures of houses that are burnt up, and the hallways are completely torched, and there's a, a closed bedroom that was pretty much saved. Um, same goes for vertical ventilation. Ideally, you want to cut a hole in the roof to alleviate the smoke and the heat inside the building while somebody is putting water on the fire because if you cut a hole in the roof before you have water on the fire, oh. then the fire goes vertically oh, no. and it catches more of the house on fire. Same thing goes if you have an open window. If you have an open door, um, the fire will eventually find that window and find find that door and that's the way that it'll go if you start a fire in the basement and you have an open window in your third floor bathroom uh most likely that's that's going to be one of the first places that uh 
That's good. That's going to be the direction the fire travels. Not the first place it comes out, but that's going to be the direction the fire travels. Um, so that, that's a good example, I guess. Yeah, that, that is a, it can be a complex situation. And yes, you do expect everyone to be able to do that. Um, yeah, I don't know what the answer is, man. <laughs> I really, I, I really enjoyed this, this like thought provoking conversation though, because it's, it's something I definitely think we should talk about more in order to come up with like a definitive answer. And I don't think every, I don't think one way or another is going to work a hundred percent for every department either. I think it's, it's something that, uh, that, that needs... yeah, this this might be something that's that's up to your 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 um your local culture, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not super applicable in volunteer departments because they're just trying. No, you right. Know. <laughs> Please, no. That's yeah. Just uh, just just <laughs> just learn how to enter a building first. Yeah. Don't yeah. don't get me started about that. But not there for anyone who is who's listening in a volunteer department. There are tons of volunteer departments out there. Seventy five percent of the country is a volunteer department or more. Exactly. There's uh, a, there's amazing ones, but there's yeah, also tons of very proactive, yeah. very very uh, very good volunteer departments, but. Um, unfortunately, those are not the ones that are remembered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not the ones that make headlines. No, no, no. I, I, I was loosely considering becoming a volunteer in the town that I live in right now because I went from a, I went from living in a city with a very proactive, very proficient, uh, urban fire department, um, to living in a rural area with a volunteer department and. I I was thinking about it until I was at an intersection and um, saw this very friendly looking fellow in a like '98 Subaru Forester blasting through an intersection with his blue lights screaming out of his window for people to get out of the way and thought immediately that is not that is not the group of people that I want to belong to. <laughs> and it turns out that the department that is in my town is actually very good. So, uh, I I'm hoping he's not one of the good ones. Because <laughs> it was a it was a very weird uh, it was a very weird experience, and and that's just from the outside looking in. You know, as as from a career guy to a to a volunteer guy, not every volunteer department's. I, he could have been shit hot. I don't know. It was just the optics mm -hmm. of it was very strange and not something that I was used to seeing. Um, yeah, it was like watching a movie. Yeah, and of course their training constraints are, are taken into account. Like it's not their main job, but correct, still. correct. But still, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Anyway, we're we're this this has gone off the rails like every episode does. <laughs> um, but it's it's been cool, and uh, it, I think I think we've gotten a lot out of this conversation, man. And and we really appreciate you coming on. This yeah, has been seriously. fun. I really appreciate the. Uh, it was an honor to be here. Thank you, man. Thank I am you. so stoked that I'm not the only one that gives a shit about concealable gear. <laughs> I'm so glad that I got to talk to you guys because it's something that I'm going to have to learn more about now. Yeah, it is. Clearly. So I know what the fuck I'm talking about. Um, well, yeah. Rogue Rescue, do you have a two things? Um, do you want to plug yourself real quick? Talk a little bit, a bit about what you do, um, where people can find you? Uh, sure, yeah. So uh, just find me at, at Rogue Rescue on uh on instagram sweet and uh something we ask everyone easy. yeah very easy very nice not complicated at all um something we ask all of our guests is if you could give somebody a piece of life advice it doesn't have to be firearm related doesn't have to be medical related um what would that be just a little quality of life tip or anything definitely so i've 
kind of built up my emotional intelligence over the past while. Like, it's definitely something I've been, I've been working on, like, specifically. And I think that's something we can all work on. Like, don't judge someone until you've genuinely seen it from their perspective. And, and still don't really judge someone, but you know what I mean? Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that's good. That's wholesome. That's very that's good. That's real. A lot of people judge people without knowing the, the full story, just from face value. Especially on the internet. No, the internet's a very friendly and judgment-free place, like Planet Fitness. <laughs> no lunks. <laughs> awesome. Awesome, man. Um, well, again, we really appreciate you coming on. And uh, I'm going to have to go do a deep dive on your page and, and, and do some research on some, some cool gear pieces for, uh, for the car and for my life in general. Oh, I can definitely help you with that. And thanks again for having me here. And uh, I really appreciate what uh, your page is also doing for the community. Thank you, man. We, uh, we appreciate your appreciation. Hi,